Bill versus Marvel. It's Bill versus versus Marvel. There was an idea to bring together a set of remarkable podcasters to see if they could become something more, to see if they could work together when we needed them, to rewatch the films we never could. Hello and welcome back to Bill vs. the MCU. I am not Bill. Say hi, Bill. Hi, I'm not life model decoy bill i am very much bill bodkin who has been on this podcast a lot well i'm gonna need you to run a knife down the side of your arm just to double check uh but while you work on finding one of those i am your host pop break podcasting director alex marcus and today we are taking another step into the wider marvel multiverse as the mcu dives deeper into their multiverse saga this month, we are continuing the third season of our podcast titled Agents in Crisis, where we are following select arcs from the first four seasons of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In this episode, the androids are on the loose and we are grabbing the nearest shotgun axe as we review Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, Episode 9 through Season 4, Episode 15, a.k.a. the LMD arc. To help us fight off our new robot overlords, we are very excited to have onto the podcast an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcasting legend, S.P. Rupert, host of the long-running Marvel podcast, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. However, before we get to any of that, it is time for another installment of Miss Minute's Marvel Memo, where we usually throw five minutes onto the clock and see how many MCU news stories we can get through. It's not going to be the Fantastic Four. It's going to be the most groundbreaking piece of cinema ever, and the cast is definitely, definitely... It's going to be something new and different that we've never seen, Bill. It's so exciting, but unfortunately, we won't have time to talk about that amazing, substanceful headline uh, about this Fantastic Four that broke earlier this week because instead we have a little a special quiz that i have prepared for you because uh, as you may know the writer strike is over hooray sag strike still ongoing so aside from that article that bill is referring to not a lot of mcu news so instead we're going to do this quiz bill is so excited right bill so screwed <laughs> i'm so screwed now the premise for this quiz is this we currently have 12 confirmed upcoming film and tv shows slated to debut between 2024 and 2026 close listeners of our podcast know that we went through the entire slate last month during this section so bill has no excuse not to know what things are coming his way which should make this much easier. <laughs> I also nope because I thought you said twelve characters from Shield were gonna. I'm gonna quiz you on. Nope. I'm like, okay, I just watched nope. the season. No Shield Fuck. characters involved, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Bill, it's gonna be fun. Uh, I'll be asking Bill about one character from each of the twelve projects, and he will have to guess that character's name. That's all he has to know is who the character's name is. <laughs> So we're still oh, going to throw God. five minutes on the clock, and the goal is to get as many correct answers as possible in that span of time. So feel free to pass on any questions you are unsure of, and if there's enough time at the end, we'll loop back around to them. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Which character attended MIT at a young age and is known for having genius-level intellect and engineering skills? Ironheart. That's correct. Which yeah. superhero possesses superhuman strength, invulnerability, and the ability to emit ionic energy blasts and has a background in business and acting? Wonder Man. That's correct. Simon Wonder Man Williams. Which 
member of Midnight Suns has used the Darkhold, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s favorite book, to vanquish supernatural foes. Blade. That's correct. Eric Blade Brooks. That's his name, by the way, Bill. Eric Blade Brooks. I did did not know that it was his name. (laughs) Okay. If you said, who is Eric Brooks? I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) My neighbor? (laughs) Who is the character known for his regenerative healing factor, katana skills, and irreverent humor? Wolverine. Wolverine. Nope. Wade Deadpool Wilson. (laughs) All right, that's one off. Okay. Which character first appeared in Inhumans number five in 1999 and later became an integral part of the Marvel Universe as a spy and assassin? Spy. Pass. Which member of the new Avengers was trained by Wilson Fix? Uh, um, oh, balls. Uh, pass. Which member of the West Coast Avengers used to be a part of the U.S. Air Force? Hawkeye. Nope. James Rhodey Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, who was a nanny to one of the world's most powerful mutants. Fran Drescher. Nope. No. Uh, uh, Close. Uh, pass. Which Marvel superhero is often regarded as one of the smartest characters in the Marvel Universe alongside characters like Tony Stark and Hank Pym? Vision. Nope. Read Mr. Fantastic Richards. In the comics, who is often depicted wielding a billy club and is known for their acrobatic fighting style? Uh, Daredevil. That's right, Matt. Daredevil, Murdoch. Which character is known for their military background and is often depicted as a skilled tactician and strategist leading military efforts against various superpowered threats? Thunderbolt Ross. That's correct. Who is the time-traveling villain with multiple aliases throughout history and a penchant for conquering various periods of time? Kang. Nathaniel Kang the Conqueror Richards. That's correct. Okay, so we're going back up to the top. The ones that you skipped. The first one you skipped was which character first appeared in Inhumans number five in 1999 and later became an integral part of the Marvel Universe as a spy and assassin? Remember, this is a project that is coming out in the next two years in the MCU. Uh, You can pass again if you want. I'm going to pass again. Okay, which member of the New Avengers was trained by Wilson Fisk? New Avengers. Yeah. You're overthinking it. I'm thinking of the Young Avengers, that's why. Oh, fast. Okay. Who was a nanny to the world's most powerful mutant? Elena Belova. Nope. Agatha Harkness. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> she was a supporting character in the Fantastic Four uh, for a very long time as, as Franklin right. Richards' nanny, who is that's a right. mutant. And okay, so we're back up to the other two. Once again, which character first appeared in Inhumans number five in 1999 and later became an integral part of the Marvel Universe as a spy and assassin? Spy and assassin. Has a movie coming out in two years. I sound like Owen Wilson. Well, it's not. Okay, so let's go to the next one. I think I know this Which one. member of the new Avengers? Echo. Was, that's correct. Maya Echo Lopez. Okay. okay. I kept thinking it and I'm like, uh, Kate Bishop. I'm like, nope. no, that's wrong. Okay. All right, so your last question is. Uh, spy and assassin. Spy and assassin debuted in. And Inhumans number five in 1999. Mm. We have a spy movie coming out in the next few years. <laughs> you say we that. Got 30 like, seconds left. So you got all the time in the world. Man, it's going to really burn my biscuits when you say it. Uh, I don't know. I don't Take know. Take a guess based off of the projects that you know are coming. <laughs> uh, just say uh, Captain Marvel. Nope. That's wrong, but I can't think of it. Nope. Uh, the correct answer is Yelena Black Widow Belova. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn it. Because I was like, oh, because, oh, man, I forgot. I, You know what? I didn't actually know she was a huge integral part of, oh, the MCU. Yeah. 
I was thinking of the comics. I yeah, well, and it was a little bit of a trick question funny. because she debuted in Inhumans number five for absolutely no reason, as far as I can tell, because she is not in Inhumans. Yeah, that's what I didn't get because <laughs> I'm like, because we said Inhumans, I'm like, oh, Miss Marvel, and I'm like, oh, that's not fucking right. And then I was like, Captain Marvel, because I didn't know what to say. But hey, you did pretty well, <laughs> given that I sprung this on you at the last minute. Uh, you got out of twelve questions, you got nine correct. So where to go? Yeah. Oh shit! Okay, and you got and All you got. Right. Wait, you, I think Fran. Fran you got Drescher Deadpool was wrong, great. and that was uh, that. I feel like that was just a blunt blunder. Oh, I, yeah. can, I was ar- that was arrogant on me because you said Katana and uh, uh, healing powers. Yeah, Wolverine, Wolverine not known for his irreverence. This is in Deadpool three. <laughs> No, no, he's not yes. for his lack of humor. Uh, but okay, 100%. that was pretty fun. I hope we get to do that again uh, one time soon. Maybe maybe next time you can quiz me on something. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to have to get really, really, like, I'm going to have to really go. I'm just like, what movie was Adrian Pazdar in <laughs> in 1984? Pitch Dark. Like, or Near Dark, it. sorry, Near Dark. Fuck. I think that was like 88, but yes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> So uh, while you're thinking over Adrian Pastar's filmography from the 80s, uh, we're going to go now to uh, our special guest, uh, S.P. Rupert from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of ThePopBreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make socially distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. Now it's time to welcome on to the show a man who started podcasting about Marvel way back in the spring of 2014, nearly a decade ago. He has kept his podcast, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., through three phases of the MCU, a global pandemic, and not one but two Marvel TV booms, during which time he and his co-hosts maintained a weekly release schedule, reviewing 44 feature films and every season of 27 Marvel live-action and animated series. He and his team are currently reviewing every episode of the second season of Loki, but he's joining us today to talk about the series that inspired it all, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. S.P. Rupert, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is an unexpected pleasure to be able to talk about the history of Marvel Comic Universe podcasting. Well, I couldn't think of a better person to have on since you were really right there at the very beginning. Uh, but before we dive into your long uh, and storied relationship podcasting uh, about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'd love to hear a little bit more about the very first entry into fandom that sparked your passion for the superhero genre. It would really have to go all the way back to uh, Batman, 1989 movie, The Batman. And I was a Surface fan for quite some time. I really didn't get into comic books. My parents didn't. Uh, take me to the, the comic book store or whatever. And by the time I made it to college, which was shortly after that, I didn't really get into comic books. So I felt a little unprepared. But when the MCU started up with Iron Man in 2008 and the phase one going into Avengers, I was like all on board. And then when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started, 
I really jumped into it as a fan. I'm more of a sci-fi guy and I jumped into it as a fan and I was introduced to podcasting through a podcast about Battlestar Galactica. So that's really my entry point into podcasting. And I just thought, hey, this is great. This is a fandom. I didn't ever have access to this before. I was always like the one guy that was interested in in the niche shows and stuff like that. And I did watch comic book shows on TV, you know, the live action stuff like Captain America show and stuff like that back in the day. But I never really was in a group that would love it because I'm a rocket scientist and you have a bunch of really intelligent people that are associated with that. And like it or not, sometimes they're like, Ooh, no, we don't like that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I like it. I enjoy it. So I fell into some people in that podcast group that was from Battlestar Galactica. And they invited me to join a couple of their podcasts, one on the Arrow show that was Starling Tribune, which I covered all the way into the end through Crisis. And then Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., I ended up taking over both podcasts. And I started a podcast about podcasting called Better Podcasting. So I'm just a podcast junkie and have enjoyed the fandom since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has started. I have read comic books. I have a couple hundred in the basement that I probably need to start selling off. But I have a lot of starting in like the 2015, 2016 timeframe. And I just kind of went overboard to try to catch up. I think Avengers was probably what got me into comic book genre to begin with. And I was just grateful to jump on board with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's been a ride for the last decade. What was it about Avengers that really like got your its hooks into you? Oh, the story, the the super powered people, the team, the world building. I'm a big world builder. So if you insert me into any world that's building, whether it's like the Lord of the Rings or whether it's like the Expanse and sci-fi or Star Wars, Star Trek, those are worlds that have built and they really touch upon a lot of the human story they're written and produced like actual human stories and so it's just all great to experience the human condition through different extremes was there anything between batman and the adventures because it's a pretty big gap of time that like had you interested in it or maybe something that kind of kept you away from diving deeper during that span of time yeah, just uh, my professional life. I, I was in, not in a location where I was by a TV or a movie theater the entire time. I'm prior military. I'm a military veteran, so I didn't always have access to that sort of thing. So things kind of fell by the wayside. And by the time the Avenger movie started, I was starting to get back into fandom. I mean, there's even sci-fi shows like Babylon 5 that I'm still catching up on. There's a a block of time from like 1990 through the early 2000s that I just wasn't there. But I, I was big every time I got a chance into like Superman, the Superman, Christopher Reeve is kind of my Superman. And uh, it's really wasn't anything uh, wrong with anything along the way. I just didn't have time. And through the podcast in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we've gone back and we've watched like X-Men 92 getting ready for X-Men 97 coming up. And then the X-Men Evolutions, I never saw that before. So uh, really able to immerse myself in this stuff that I hadn't really seen before. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, this would have been cool when I was younger, but it's 
what I have to experience now today. Is there anything like along those lines that you're like, man, I really wish I had seen this when I was eight. That that would have been the most incredible experience if I had seen it back then. Honestly, X-Men 92 is is without a yeah. doubt like at, at the top of the list. I mean, there's sci-fi stuff too, but as far as the Marvel stuff goes, yeah, X-Men 92, because it was such a formative event that occurred for five years for everybody that got everybody ready for the big X-Men movie that came out. And ultimately what Fox tried to do and arguably failed, at least in my opinion, um, I was kind of hoping that Disney picking it up would bring it forward. But since they're in financial trouble now, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to keep it all together in one package moving forward. Plus it would be rebooted because you're not going to have the same actors moving it forward. I know we did have Charles Xavier in um, uh, Doctor Strange 2, but uh, aside from that, we haven't seen anybody from X-Men moving forward. I know that Wolverine is supposed to be in Deadpool, but is that going to be MCU canon or not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that seems more like the end of something than the start of something. Exactly. And I think Logan was actually a great ending to that story to begin with. And and this is just having fun between two people that want to have fun between Ryan and, and Logan. Yeah. So now I would be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to talk a little bit about Arrow before we get into something more in depth, because you did spend so many hours talking about Arrow on the Starling Tribune. And I may or may not have, in one of my recent interviews, compared uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. favorably to Arrow, saying that uh, that S.H.I.E.L.D., as it grew and as it went along in its in its run, uh, managed to avoid some of the traps of Arrow, in my opinion. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on that, because for me, uh, the thing that jumps out to me, and I watched every episode of Arrow as well, is that it, it started to fall into kind of a, a pattern where you would get that sort of like midway through the season, the team falls apart because they don't trust each other and then they're mad at each other for a few episodes and then they come back together and solve the problem and it kind of got very formulaic in a way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, as we were going through it, watching the first four seasons, it's impressive how they don't have a formula. They kind of like throw the book out and start the season fresh every year with a new idea. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on that comparison. There's subtle differences between the two series that you, you can't base it on the same foundation. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on a network work show. ABC was one of the broadcast networks. The Arrow show and the subsequent Arrowverse was on the CW, which may or may not have been broadcast, but it wasn't a network. So it didn't have the network backing. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is it canon? Is it not? I don't know. But it did play off of something that was existing with the MCU. You did have guest appearances through the first two or three seasons from the MCU with Fury, with Hill, with Sif, and a few others. And that grounded it in the existing universe. And you had events along the way that it said, okay, we're playing with Thor 2, or we're playing cleanup after Thor 2, that sort of thing. With Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., with Arrow, it was literally all on its own, and it was not connected to the then DCEU. So it was its own little entity, and I think it had a little bit more creative license because of that. And unfortunately, it was also hampered, the Arrowverse, by the fact that you only had so much money per episode and you didn't have a big network saying, okay, this is our marquee series. We're going to go with it because it is our comic book entry for the general public. The first two seasons of Arrow, there's no 
better television comic book show out there. The first two seasons of Arrow outdid even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But then it just cranked to the formulaic tween relationship sort of stuff that from an older guy that is really looking forward to more of the story. It was not my cup of tea. And honestly, we were hoping every year that maybe they'll get canceled this year. Maybe they'll get canceled this year. Maybe they'll get, and then we would stop doing the podcast, but we rolled with the podcast all the way to the end. And uh, they had Beth Schwartz come on board on arrow to take over as showrunner for the last two seasons. I think she was hampered a little bit by a story and, and, and money and stuff that they wanted to do with crisis, but she did a really good job. She kind of brought the series back up at the end. So that was kind of fun, but you know, at the very end when a crisis happened and, and it was really the ending of Arrow, there's no two bones about it. Crisis ended Arrow. And it's like, okay, well, all right. But then I was watching all these other series, like the Supergirl series, like Black Lightning, uh, Flash. I, I was watching all of them and they just got so formulaic and so watered down. They were shows about superheroes, granted, which... Aside from the Inhumans, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't have. But the Arrowverse shows, it got to a point where I just, I couldn't critique them on a weekly basis. It was sucking the joy out of them. If I had them on the background, that would have been one thing. But since I was critiquing them on a weekly basis, it was really tough. And uh, the Legends of Tomorrow show, when it came on, was kind of fun because it was meant to be fun. It was meant to make fun of itself. And and we got it. And it, it was uh, a joy for us to cover legends of tomorrow in the off season from arrow. And, and that was fun. But by the end, we're like, no. And I was kind of scathing in my review at the end of Starling Tribune of, okay, I'm out. I, you know, it's been a good run. I've been here, but I'm out. I'm not going to take it further. And uh, both shows were part of a network called the Gunna Geek Network. It still exists today. I still podcast on the Gunna Geek Network. The network owner, Steven, put up a post on the Gunna Geek site saying, okay, here is your, uh, the, the team of Arrowverse. You know, they had all the seats around the round table at the end of crisis. And then one by one, he started crossing them out when the series got canceled. So I'm glad I didn't ride that train into the dirt because that would have really graded to me. But to answer your question more directly, the compare and the contrast agents of shield did continue story-wise at least to increase over the time they kept on finding new and unique ways to place the team in jeopardy and and try to figure things out within the marvel universe and arrow it just seemed like they were just kept on going down and down and down you didn't have oliver queen in charge of queen industries anymore and and you didn't have moira around she I mean she was great and uh, it just lost its luster and they didn't really reload the cast as well as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did over time. So, yeah, it was fun covering both at the start. And I'm glad I'm still doing Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I'm also glad I'm not doing Starling Tribune. Now, you alluded to something earlier, which is that you kind of got drafted into Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the start of the first season, about halfway through, as I recall. How did all of that come about? And how did you end up going from kind of an emergency replacement host to the permanent lead on the show until today? <laughs> Yeah, the three guys that started Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was friends with them to begin with, and I had wanted to start podcasting, and I had started a podcast on the sci-fi show Defiance about that time, so I just started to get my podcasting gear and my capabilities to podcast, 
And these guys have been podcasting for a while and another show called Legends Podcast for a while. So they were ready to go. And this was kind of added to them. And and they lost interest in Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was getting to, to them to be like, eh, I, I don't want to do this. In addition to my five other podcasts that I'm doing, it's not really exciting. They have all said if they had hung on for like three more episodes, they would have gotten to turn, turn, turn. Because I uh-huh. took over at Yes Man. I had guested on a few shows before that, but I came in on Yes Man. And then we had a short break and we were able to cover Paleofest where the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel was there and stuff. And of course, they knew at that point in time what was about to happen. But there was nobody in the crowd to ask them questions about Hydra or anything like that. So when Turn, Turn, Turn came out, that that was an exciting thing that's like, oh, my gosh. And it was something that affected both the MCU and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which everybody considered part of the MCU back then. So those guys that had started and, and like left the show because they just didn't have time and, and the producer didn't have time to take it over. And none of the other guys on the podcast knew how to edit at that time or anything. So I was given the keys to the kingdom and, and I ran with it. Uh, because I was like, oh, cool. I, I'm I'm really excited about this podcasting thing. And this is great because it's covering Marvel. And I wasn't concerned about the uh, lack of superpower or MCU connections that we're having. It was like Monster of the Week in season one. And uh, yeah, I, it turns out I, I made the best bet out of the two because <laughs> I was able to continue on uh, through season seven. Now, can you speak a little bit about their choice to transform Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. from a weekly S.H.I.E.L.D. recap podcast like the aforementioned Starling Tribune to a one-stop shop for all Marvel comics-related films and TV series? It was twofold. First of all, we were covering the MCU films as they were coming out. Matter of fact, we went back and covered the MCU films in the off weeks to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was the first thing that we did. The second thing that happened was Marvel expanded their television both within ABC and within Netflix. So all of a sudden we had a, a wealth of content to cover. I'm like, okay, well, I'm all in. Let's, let's do all this stuff. And the first few series, like the first, the first season of daredevil, I, I would argue is better than arrow, but the, it wasn't on TV. It was behind a streaming service back then. So that's why I say arrow was the best uh, comic book show on TV. The first season of daredevil is phenomenal darker, but it was great. So we were just rolling with that. I think by the time Iron Fist came out, which I believe is about the time of the fourth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're like, <laughs> eh. and what Netflix would do is they would dump the whole season on a weekend. I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. I'm podcasting on Arrow. I'm podcasting on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've got another weekly tech geek podcast that I do. I just started the Better Podcasting Show about how to podcast. And I was doing like seven podcasts, Voices of Defiance, seven podcasts in a week. And I'm That's like, incredible. there's, I don't have the time to binge any shows. So I kind of lost out on that. Now, in the end, we ended up covering all of those shows because of the off weeks and then the ending, I won't say cancellation, but ending of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it was just a natural transition because that content was already there. I even started for a while a companion comic book podcast called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition. I just didn't have the time to put into that. So that kind of 
pod faded, as they say, over Went time. Two years, though, so that's pretty impressive for a for a spinoff podcast. Yeah, and it's still available today out there. And I, if I ever have time, I'll pick it up again. But I, I just don't think I'm I'm going to have time for that. It's funny. I've been listening back to your coverage of season four as part of my like effort to sort of reorient myself about like where the fandom was back in 2015, 20, or 2016, 2017. And right now, while the LMD arc is airing, Netflix is dropping all of these trailers for Iron Fist. And you guys sound so enthusiastic and optimistic. And it's just like, oh, gosh, if you, if you only knew what was coming. <laughs> Right, and Defenders was coming up too. I, I I personally enjoyed Defenders, but yeah, Iron Fist was was not cool. Yeah, Iron Fist and Inhumans was another thing that was just ugh, it was yeah. very unfortunate. I think the combination of I don't know why the the poor reception for Agent Carter and then the terrible story of Inhumans really killed ABC on on superhero shows, and so they they stuck with Agents of Shield to be their one show but also at the same time you had casting going on for cloak and dagger and runaways that -hmm. was going on and that was the you know the hulu stuff that was coming out i think those series we also covered and uh, yeah it was fun and unfortunately not connected to anything that that's my general gripe when it comes to marvel it's like I know it's going to be difficult, but your marketing needs to be set to connect all these things together, because if not, people are not going to be interested in it, which was really what happened with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Well, and that's the whole thing is that if they were just straight with us from the beginning and said, look, we're just doing other Marvel stuff and it doesn't it's not related to the the movies at all. It's fine. But Jeff Loeb was always out there in the press saying, no, it's all connected. It's trust us. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And it never was. And then I think it it put a bad taste in people's mouths completely unnecessarily because a lot of these shows are really good and doing interesting stuff. But they were had this pressure of, well, is it going to tie into the Avengers? And no one ever behind the scenes had any intention of having it tie into the Avengers. So putting that on the shows was ultimately, I think, a huge strategic mistake. Would they have been more successful if they didn't have that connection? I don't know, but they certainly at least wouldn't be drowned by that conversation over and over and over again, you know? I know the one question that was asked, and I forget if it was Jeff Loeb or Kevin Feige or somebody else, but somebody at a panel asked, is the Avengers, are they ever going to know that Coulson is alive again? You know, he's gone through this Tahiti thing and they left it open, but it sounded to the fervent fan that wasn't reading between the lines that, yes, they are going to learn that Coulson is still alive. And then we get to Endgame, you know, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had transformed quite a bit by that time anyway. But then we get to Endgame and Infinity War and Endgame and Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man dies and Tony Stark dies and he doesn't know that Coulson has ever had this second life. And I think at that point in time, any hope that there was that this was connected really died. So yeah, if they would have separated it, would it have fared better? Well, I think you have that with the cloak and dagger and the runaways where they referenced a few things like the big green guy. That seems like a common reference, but they didn't really connect it. And yet it wasn't entirely successful. Now those are shows about kids predominantly versus the shows about like agents of shield where you have this entity out there this this official agency and or unofficial as most of agents of shield was so it's a little bit different but would it have fared different i don't know you would have had to make it something like i don't know ncis or 
uh, Law and Order or something like that for it to get uh, common uh, popularity. And that just wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, you still had to kind of tie it in somehow. I guess I mean Coulson's from the movies. It's and he did like finally get to show back up in Captain Marvel in a flashback, but so I know people were excited about that, even though that um, his CGI hairpiece was pretty iffy. <laughs> I, I don't blame. I mean, like we all get older after a while, right? And <laughs> yeah. not only to get older from when you first appeared, but then have to de-age like twenty years. It's it's not gonna <laughs> go well. I don't care no. what your uh, DNA genetics are. Yeah. But so speaking of like around 2019, so 2020 shield ends, you guys decide to keep the show going. Right. And then we have uh, around that same time, Marvel TV studios collapses because Feige takes control over everything, fires Jeff Loeb and centers everything in Marvel studios proper. So all those other shows get canceled. Uh, and then right at that pivot point is when the pandemic hits and we have a major production slowdown, release slowdown. How did you guys keep the show going during that span of time? Well, we still had a dearth of stuff that we hadn't seen. And like I said, we had covered X-Men 92 along the way too. But then you had the Disney Plus shows that started and we went into that. I guess if you take a look at the number of episodes per year, we're probably not hitting on like 50 a year because you're going to take vacations. I'm big in, as a hobby podcaster, I'm big into taking vacations. So if you need to take four to eight weeks off a year from podcasting, go for it. Because you have family stuff that comes along in the holidays and that sort of stuff. So we probably took some, I'd have to go back and look, some time off. But we transitioned to both covering the Disney Plus shows as well as covering stuff that we hadn't seen yet, like going back into the um, bucket. And we actually got to interview uh, some of the creators behind X-Men 92, which are available because X-Men 97 is coming out and stuff like that. So that, that was fun to be able to go back and talk to the people that were a part of X-Men 92. And I can't remember if we covered anything else. We finished the net. We finally finished all the Netflix stuff. Um, I would, we started taking multiple episodes at a time because I don't think those at the end were like the final season of Jessica Jones, uh, final season of Daredevil. They weren't really worth taking it one at a time, unfortunately. Well, and by that point, you guys were also reviewing it a long time after they were released initially, too. So it makes sense to kind of do it more in chunks than in per episode basis. Yeah, the other thing I would like to do is there's this companion podcast of, of people that I know, at least. They, they do a Star Wars podcast. It's called the Cantina Cast. And what they do is they do introspectives on either storylines, uh, past material. So they cover like the legacy books and that sort of stuff, which comic books for Marvel, that would work out. They do, I believe they've covered some of the Star Wars comics as, as well in the past, but they'll do uh, exposés into characters or individuals. And like one of the things that I want to do is do one of those on Kevin Feige to start it all off and then go from there because Kevin Feige is really the central point in the MCU and what's caused this resurgence, I'll say, of, of Marvel. I, I know Stan Lee's the man, but when it comes to Iron Man on in, Kevin Feige is it. And Kevin Feige, a lot of people don't understand now that are new fans, he wasn't in charge in 2008. He was one of the people that were in charge, but he wasn't in charge. And then he just kind of gained that position over time. Like by 2012, he was pretty much the guy that was running a lot of the decisions. Uh, he did have a creative team 
uh, a council, I believe. I forget what it was called that was running underneath him at the time. But, uh, you know, just covering that and then covering like characters and individuals like, okay, so who is Iron Man? Who is Ironheart? That would be a good one to have right now because yeah. uh, we are coming up on having a series for Ironheart. We've already seen Ironheart in the Black Panther movie. So there, there's all sorts of stuff to do. It's just, what do you have time to do as a hobby podcaster? Yeah, well, and then a lot of the, like, so for Ironheart, for instance, she kind of came out in the comics around the time that you started reading comics, it sounds like, right? Right around that, like, 2014, 2015 time span. So that would be probably pretty interesting that now we're unbelievably a decade away from that. <laughs> and I know. you're getting to see her in the movies and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've got all the books and I referred back to him before I actually went to go see the movie because I, she was actually the most exciting part of that movie that I wanted to go see was that's was, okay. how I felt as well. And there, I feel like a lot of people say, oh, it just felt like fan, like it felt like Marvel Studios, like injecting like the franchise stuff into the movie. But I thought that she was such a refreshing kind of, uh, you know, audience surrogate character in the mix there. And I really enjoyed her and I look forward to her TV show. If it's ever allowed to come out, that television show was filmed last fall. It is now still getting delayed again. So who knows if we'll ever see it, but uh, I hope we do. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as like our original comic book reader of hers. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I don't know what the holdup is, if it's CGI or they're just trying to string out content or whatever. I was under the impression, and maybe I'm wrong, but and this has never been stated, but it's kind of obvious if you know, you know, the comic book stories, they're heading to something like, the champions or the young Avengers. They're looking at that because they're putting all the pieces on the board, all the players on the board between Hawkeye and uh, with uh, Falcon and the winter soldier. And all those have characters that have been injected that are part of this, uh, this team, these teams. I don't know if miles Morales is going to get a player or not because he's still owned by Sony. The character is still owned by Sony, it would be difficult to do the champions without miles Morales, but you know, you, you play with what you got sort of thing. And Ironheart is part of that. She's not part of that. You know, it depends on which team that you're looking at. So we'll see what happens, but I think if they want to go that route and then combine those characters with like the mutant characters that are coming on board, that's an exciting future for Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just have to get people's mindset away from you're not going to have Thor. You're not going to have Iron Man. You're not going to have Captain America anymore, which is kind of sad because they're cool characters. But at the same time, there's so many other characters that you can introduce and you can only play with so many characters at the same time. That main battle at the end of Endgame had everybody in it. What do you remember about individual performances? You get to see everybody for maybe 10, 15 seconds and that's it. Then you have to move on. No, it's true. Uh, you said that you're interested in thinking like big picture about some of these ideas. Uh, I want to go big picture on something to do with shield as we kind of like loop back around to that as our, as our topic for today uh, from hashtag, it's all connected to being outshone by the movies and the Netflix shows to fighting off cancellation by the skin of their teeth year in year out the conversation around the show evolved almost as much as the show itself did over those seven seasons. What do you make of all of it now looking back at it from a distance? Well, first of all, something that isn't as big today is the fact that you had live 
tweeting. And I will literally say that live tweeting. So you had a fandom that would come together with a show that was airing prime time and you'd be able to live tweet it. You can't do that today. You you can say you're watching something and you will schedule a time, but it's only going to be within your circles that come in and do that sort of group watch. So the, the fandom has changed just because the technology around the fandom has changed and, and the stories have changed as well. Uh, yeah, I remember hashtags all connected. Uh, we laughingly refer to it sometimes because uh, obviously it's not necessarily a hashtag. It's all connect. I mean, great marketing by Jeff Loeb. I assume that he was the one that came up with it. And great marketing but, uh, by you for getting that website, hashtag it's all connected.com. Yeah, I immediately <laughs> saw that and I got the URL and appointed it to my podcast. So yeah. And uh, just the name of the show, I can't take credit for the name of our show, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was the original Nightwing he went by at the time. He, he got that. Uh, but people have mistakenly referred to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So <laughs> I, I get that cross uh, marketing to my show as well. Um, but the conversation has changed. The conversation with the people that have been around since the beginning are more critical and they have less fun, I guess, because they're saying, oh, but this happened way back then. And I, I don't understand how they're moving forward. Me personally, I'm having an issue with uh, Agent Carter, Sharon Carter, Agent 13, and how the MCU is treating her. Uh, you had uh, Maria Hill, uh, who on, made an unfortunate demise at the beginning of Secret Invasion. And we were all like, that was meaningless. You have yeah. this great character and this great actor. And you, you just threw away in a meaningless episode one of uh, Secret Invasion with arguably a series that's meaningless. I don't know. Maybe in the future, they'll bring it back together like they did Thor The Dark World. And they said, God, this is the not. most important thing to the MCU, <laughs> right? But I, I, I don't think so. So uh, a great idea. It's a big event that occurred. I think they could have pulled it off better. And I think that's the conversation you're having now is phase four is a little bit of a head scratcher. Like, where are you ultimately going? And then you bring in some actor issues, some main actor issues. Are you going to have to recast or not? I think that's still up in the air. Uh, so you have all these older fans. And I mean, older by you were a fan when Iron Man came out in 2008. You followed the whole thing through. Not necessarily the fact that you might be AARP age like me coming into it. But you, you have a, a, a more keen eye on things. And because TV has changed to a streaming model, there's more expectations on having a better story as you're moving forward. Both with movies and with uh, actual uh, TV shows or series or whatever you want to call them these days. So the fandom has changed. The expectations have changed. The presentation has changed. And I'm just hoping that Marvel gets to change with it. I think they're having a tough time transitioning. Hopefully, eventually, they'll be able to find their mark and run with it for another few phases. I think uh, over on the Warner Brothers DC side of the house, they've got much more of a mess to clean up. And they might have the benefit of having a clean restart right now. So maybe that'll benefit them. I don't know. But as far as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes, you're not going to get the 22 to 26 episode series anymore. It's just not going to happen. The best you can get is a bunch of series, a bunch of six to 12 episode series that combine together throughout a couple of years that all tell the same stories. 
but they're different series. It's not like the same series. Uh, Star Wars, Mandalorian. You got the book of Boba Fett in there. Well, that's part of the Mandalorian. You could argue the Ahsoka, the series that's airing right now as we're recording this, is part of the Mandalorian and that story going forward. And that is acceptable these days. 26 episode season is not. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways, that's because of the economics of it. In a lot of ways, it's because we saw the creative difficulty that shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and and the Arrowverse had trying to make 22 episodes work on a week-to-week basis when they stopped being these shows that were marketing towards a sort of niche sci-fi audience like Buffy back in the day, where fans were just happy to get anything like that because it was so rare to being pushed into the center of culture and then having those giant expectations placed on it like they don't want a filler episode quote unquote where we just like learn a little bit about somebody's relationship with their mom this week that doesn't really go anywhere but it's like nice to get to know the character like they're not interested in that these days like they want so much incident but then they also I find like in the, in the way that the fans often respond, they want the the major plot stuff to happen. They want the inc- it to be incident rich, but then they end up feeling empty afterwards because they didn't get the time to spend with the characters to make them actually care about the outcomes of the incident that is happening. So I feel like we're in this sort of like strange period with uh, superhero media where we're doing too much and not enough all at the same time. I hope it I hope it balances out uh, in the coming years. One telltale thing is if i get a deep expose into a character i know they're gonna die because (laughs) i'm I'm giving you this backstory and then i'm gonna rip the character from you either Uh in this episode or the next episode and i'm like and the worst thing is if they rip some people away from you that you don't care about but Mm -hmm. most of the time if you're giving me a backstory on something you're not building over the course of five to ten years you're just building them up to make you care for when i kill them sort of thing or remove them for whatever reason but normally it's killing them in these uh, superhero shows so it's like i no no i, I want to know more about the characters and and from the villain side of things there's been less and less of here's their motivation like you can previous to this streaming era you got a look at the villains and their backstories and what led them to be where they are like ward for instance on agents of shield you actually get his background eventually i mean took a while but you get his background and you kind of understand the character and then unfortunately you haven't gotten that with a few or they give it to you and you're scratching your head like that's not good enough like secret invasion it was a good example like okay i kind of see this backstory but basically you're just telling me he's a madman and right. you're not telling me that he's doing it for a reason that i could understand and that was unfortunate one of the reasons why in my opinion it didn't turn out to be a good series yeah absolutely we were going to talk about this a little bit later but since we're on the topic of the kind of disney plus era of marvel and the sort of brand delusion of marvel studios during these last like two three years I don't know if you remember this, but as someone who has been listening to all of your old episodes recently, back in 2014, you predicted that the MCU would fall off in about a decade following the Star Trek Next Generation to Star Trek Enterprise boom and busts timeline, where you said that you pretty much, once you hit 15 years, you fall off. So we are approaching the 16th anniversary of Iron Man this spring. Um, I'm curious if you think that that prediction from all those years ago is 
coming true, or if you think that the current naysayers of Marvel's decline are kind of overstating things a bit. Uh, yeah, Star Trek, uh, Stargate universe, you could also say, fell into that. I think with both Star Wars and with Marvel, I think you're kind of seeing that. I think you saw that with the CW thing uh, with Arrowverse, where it just got to be 10 years and it's like, okay, you've oversaturated me. And I think that's part of why uh, Disney with both Star Wars and with Marvel, as well as DC, has kind of backed away a little bit. Like, we do have this great IP. We just don't want to put it in everybody's face all the time so that they get really sore of it. I'll give you the converse of a couple of IPs that are actually making you salivate for the next thing is Lord of the Rings with the the new Power series on Amazon Prime as well as the Dune series as well. Now, the writer strike, the actor strike is kind of affecting both of those right now. But you, you get the point where it's like, I really want to see the next thing there. I will pay to see it. I will go to the theater to see it versus, eh, I'll just see it when I have time, when I'm not watching the game on whatever sports thing that you're watching or whatever. It's like, that's the detriment of streaming. It's like, okay, it's available. I'll watch it when I get to it sort of thing. And you're seeing that slowdown. They are mitigating the cancellation of like Star Trek after Enterprise with slowing things down. Uh, also, pandemic, also strikes have started to slow things down, but they made the decision to slow things down before the strikes. So is it going to survive? I think so. I think they have to tell good stories and you've gotten criticism that you're not telling good stories or good enough stories. So they're going to have to up their game and I'm bore supporting of the writers. So I hope they don't use a lot of AI to come in and do a formulaic thing, so to speak, because I don't think that's going to be great. But yeah, I, th I think they, they can tweak some dials to prevent the complete cancellation. I think they've done it along the way. I mean, they canceled Agent Carter. They canceled Inhumans, I think, justifiably. Uh, they canceled uh, Runaways. They canceled Cloak and Dagger. Probably not justified, but I think that was a power play just to get rid of those series because it wasn't connected to everything. And they might want to use those characters in the future. I think you've seen the consolidation of IP at Disney with the merger of Fox. I, don't, I know that wasn't a huge reason why Disney bought Fox, but it was one of the reasons why Disney bought Fox. And uh, they're able to put the mutants in to get those stories consolidated and moving forward. So it's a little bit different with, with Star Trek and with Stargate, you ran out of IP. So you've created more IP with Marvel by gaining more IP. They just need to take that and tell good stories. There still are some detriments. And there's some detriments for new people. Like yes. I'm going to be a new grandfather <laughs> this year, right? So I'm thinking my kid, my, my grandkid is not going to have seen any Star Wars, no Harry Potter, no Marvel, none of that. So it's all going to be new to them. Where do they start, right? Yeah, and the thing about kids, which you know, if you have if you have a grandkid coming, you've had kids before that, they don't want to watch a hundred things. They want to watch one thing a hundred times until they get to be like about ten. 
<laughs> so it right. makes it hard to onboard. Um, but the, but the nice thing is, is that they're also really good at filling things in for themselves, right? They don't, I feel like when a 25-year-old, 30-year-old, like, jumps into the middle of it and you're like, oh, well, I can't watch Ahsoka because I haven't seen the cartoon. Like, there's this expectation and this, like, pressure. If a, if a six-year-old starts watching Ahsoka, they're not going to be like, oh, no, I didn't watch, I didn't do my homework. They're just going to be like, oh, cool show, lightsabers, whatever, you know, space whales. <laughs> so that's the benefit. I feel like you can always onboard and then backtrack uh, once they're old enough to care. I, I'm a sci-fi guy. And I had watched the original Stargate, uh, Stargate movie. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching Battlestar Galactica. Long story short, I was picking up some Stargate that was happening right afterwards in the show. And it was like season six, seven at that time. I was like, wait a minute, how did they get from the movie (laughs) to here? And it was supposed to be connected. Right. And I was like, okay. So that got me to watch the previous six seasons of Stargate SG-1 to figure out how they got there today. So if you're interested in it, you'll put in the time. If you're like, mm, meh, then you're not going to. And if you happen to be a giant media conglomerate that owns the streaming rights and streaming service where that all those old episodes are, it's not a bad thing from your perspective. If people are like, huh, interesting, I'm going to go back and watch 10 seasons of this TV show now. Um, so it's, it's all part of the plan. <laughs> um, but certainly in our modern day and age, it's hard to have the time to do it in the first place. But um, I feel like that's a good problem to have. Um, now, we're talking about good stories, right? The, the burden of having a good story. Many people find season four, which is the season that we're here to talk about today, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., to be the best season of the show. I'm curious, like, big picture, and again, not talking too much about the end of the season, because our audience hasn't gotten quite there yet. Um, what do you think about that claim that this is the best season? And and also, specifically, the choice to kind of break this up into three different pods, as they like to say back then, instead of trying to tell a big big overarching story with multiple kind of like nodes that go in and out of priority as the season goes along. This is a serial show. You're going to build the next episode upon everything that has come up before that. So you have to keep that in mind as you go forward that even with these pods, as you're saying, they're not contained stories necessarily. They're building upon how you got there to begin with. They might have come in with, okay, this is how we're going to start. This is how we're going to end because this is where we want to be for our next arc or pod, if you will. But whatever happens in there, you're going to be able to play with everything that has come before then. I think in the pre-streaming era, And I think even BBC really had this down before our streaming services did because their series or seasons, as they're called in the United States, were kind of built that way to begin with. They had six to eight, maybe 12 episode series. That's what the Brits called seasons over there on the BBC. They were already doing this. So there was already a model out there that said, yeah, this is probably the good way to go. So they took some actors, some guest stars. They didn't string them out the entire season. They had them there for six to eight episodes, whatever it was per pod. And they were able to play with those people and those characters. And then when they came to a conclusion you kept your main cast, you maybe picked up one or two, and then you moved on. Uh, so I think that the way they did this was actually pretty good. The uh, The first pod was on the Ghost Rider. The second pod was LMD. And the third pod you're going to get to, I guess, later. Um, <laughs> just so I'm on record, the the ending scene to the the final the season four is is epic. So if you haven't seen it, getting there is is great once you're there um but 
the this pod that you're on right now, it was it was pretty fun because it was self-contained, so to speak. You were playing with the director who, you know, you were dealing with, oh, is he inhuman or not? You're playing with the inhumans and how we're dealing with them with the Sokovia Accords. But you're also dealing with this great thing that a lot of Marvel comic fans are just nutso about, and that is the LMDs. And you're thinking, are we going to have LMDs in the MCU now? That would be awesome. It would be awesome to have a Tony Stark LMD come in and be in the show sort of thing. And it's it's not really Tony Stark. It's his LMD. So those are the things that are are happening in the in the fan discussion as this is going on. So I think it was great. Ghost Rider is, is a huge character that's got a lot of fandom. The LMDs was a, a, a moniker within the Marvel comics that everybody wanted to see done. And we were at a point within CGI and, and effects that you could do it effectively. I mean, when some of those LMDs get vaporized or, or hit hard by Quake or whatever, yeah. it's like, wow, the effects on that, you couldn't do that back in the 80s. It's great to see that. <laughs> yeah. So I think they did the right thing. I think it was a way forward pre-streaming to get the different stories and sequence and to concentrate on one main thing while you still had a B, C, D, E story going on and then build upon it. Because one of the things that comes in the, the LMD series is the fact that Mac has a daughter yes. by the name of Hope. That's important as we go forward. I won't spoil anything, but that didn't come out of nowhere and it meant something. And it also meant something within the arc as well. So it wasn't just something that was placed in there and and we're just not going to bother with that until we get to where we need it. It mm. was put in there pretty well as the relationship between Yo-Yo and Mac developed. So yeah. I, I think they did great with that sort of thing. And it's the best kind of retcon for the char- for when it comes to character building, because at least in my opinion, because if you go backwards in time, they kind of do this with Fitz too in this, in this arc with Fitz's like troubled relationship with his dad. We never really got either of those things alluded to in before this, but when you hear it, you think back on who these characters were and who we saw them as in the previous seasons. And it all makes perfect sense. It lines up so well that Mac would have had this tragedy in his past. And that, that was kind of motivating some of the emotional issues that he was going through, even if we didn't know it at the time. And with Fitz, all the attachment stuff that he has with all of the characters and how betrayed he gets and how he's the most sensitive one of the group in a lot of ways, like it makes so much sense that he would have had this emotionally abusive dad who walked out on him. So like, a lot of the times, especially in comic book things, like we go into retcons just to tell a story in the moment. And then you think, wait, how did that doesn't make any sense with what came before? Like, you got to throw all this stuff out just to make it work. And with that, that it, I think all both of those are great examples of retcons really being very thoughtful and saying like, okay, who is this character? How can we increase the depth of this character in a way that backwards makes sense and gives us storytelling potential in the future? One of the things I would have loved to have seen eventually was the writer's Bible that they had to deal with. Like, okay, what exactly is the background that you think are important for these characters or what's really important with an LMD as you go forward? Because if you're writing an episode the way that it was done back then, you're writing a canned episode. You might have written previous episodes and you might write future episodes. So you, you might have some kind of knowledge where the series is going and that sort of thing. But you need some background data in a universe that's as rich as this. Uh, I'll give you an off-universe example. The the Stargate SG-1, one of the biggest mistakes that they said they made with that whole thing were the Zats, where one Zat stunned somebody, two Zats would 
kill them and three zats would vaporize them they were like that makes no sense whatsoever if you get three zats in your lifetime are you vaporized you know a second zat a month later are are you dead then where your body hasn't had a chance to and they never explored and they were like yeah that that was stupid we we wish we would have chosen something else. And if they would have had a good writer's Bible from the get-go, they would have pulled that stuff out. And I know they had a writer's Bible, more so to speak, with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that had that character background for people like Mac and Quake and and uh, Coulson that they were able to uh, build upon as they went along. But there was no set, okay, we're going to bring this part of Coulson in at, at this point in time. Uh, this particular LMD arc, by the way, you really get to see Coulson come through as, okay, I don't want to deal with all that political stuff. I want to go ahead and run operations. So I'm going to do this and you can do all the political stuff. And that's just how it's going to be. And the director is like, okay, you know, I, I want to be here and help. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, he, and that was another thing. He, he finally found his, you know, he had his Coulson moment from the Avengers where instead of taking a, a spear he he got his identity. I'm a blocker. I get it. And he went and became a blocker. And I think that was great. Uh, so I don't know if any of that was in the, the character Bibles, but if they did have that in there, I think it would have meant so much more to be able to take on uh, little stories as they go forward within the characters that made this series so unique. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of things from characters past, obviously this season we get a, a flashback uh, story between Coulson and May about how they were when they first were getting to know each other. And that kind of plays into this season long arc of like finally paying off the Felinda, you know, fan uh, ship uh, between Coulson and May, which really fans were in love with the idea from season one. But, you know, in season one, May was paired up with Ward for some reason. Coulson had his cellist that we all remember remember of course uh we had season two and three they both had other uh, relationships that all ended in tragedy of course because it's agents of shield and then season four we finally get to kind of dive into their relationship and add this kind of texture of romance and this will they won't they do you feel like season four was the time to finally pull the trigger on that or do you feel like it should have come earlier do you wish that uh they had waited longer i think that Marissa and, and Jed, I think they were thinking of a five season run. I, I think uh, obviously you get to end of season five and you see why. Right. So I think from the get go, they were thinking five seasons. That That's pretty cool. They ended up getting seven seasons. Uh, and if you do that, you don't want to bring those relationships together too soon. Uh, one of the great things about Arrow was Felicity and Oliver and will they won't date for a while. And then when they finally got together, it was like, okay, uh, you've removed that will they won't they, but then you have to replace that with, okay, here's our actual relationship. And they kind of mirrored that over in the flash too. Um, so it's a little less tension in the relationship, but it's still story to tell. So I think waiting until close to the end, the end of season four for Felinda was probably right in the series plan as they were making it, as they were going along. Because I'm pretty sure they were just happy to get a season five, not knowing the ratings were really bad in season four, yeah. even though it was great story. Uh, the ratings were bad. So the fact that they got a season five was uh, mana from the heaven of Marvel, which was really Disney Studios saying, yes, we want a Marvel show on ABC. Yes. So here Corporate you go. Synergy. Here's your gift. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I think having the relationship wait until the end of season four and then to throw all the, the, the four story, will they, won't they like, okay, Melinda's an LMD. Is that really a relationship? And, you know, let's finally drink that bottle sort of thing. And you bring up Melinda's issue as the Calvary again, you're yeah. able to input that in the story and make it impactful. Yeah. I think it was all great. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about artificial intelligence when it came to the LMD storyline, right? Obviously, back in 2017, AI was more of a science fiction topic than it was a kind of a news story of the day. But now, six years later, it has become maybe the most dominant scientific concept, uh, both in culture, where we have that playing AI characters as heroes and villains in a multitude of mass media products, and also leading the nightly news and labor disputes and, uh, you know, weapons experts coming on talking about the dangers of AI and all this stuff. So it's really jumped from the pages of a comic book to, you know, the pages of a proverbial newspaper that doesn't have pages anymore. (laughs) So um, with all that said, how do you feel like the concept of Ada and her as an antagonist, as a sort of morally gray figure who is in this phase of the story, at least, still passing being passed around by all these like characters you're trying to use her as a tool and slowly kind of taking agency and taking control what do you think about that exploration of ai and how it how it looks with 2023 eyes well i don't know about you but i've had ai in my podcasting den since 2015 (laughs) with a you know furious toolbox it's it's right all here man (laughs) it's right all here uh but i think it's great i think 20 17 was not early at all to talk about this thing. Bicentennial Man had come out with Robin Williams years and years before that. Isaac Asimov, iRobot, and and his Isaac Asimov stories about robotics are iconic. And it's been well discussed. I think they took it in in a... So this is pre... This is out in the world. We knew it was coming at some point. We just didn't know when it was coming. Uh, we didn't know it was going to be so close on the cusp, so to speak, within five years, basically, of, of general AI being able to come out. AI was probably developed by governmental entities years before that. You know, it didn't come out of nowhere. It came because somebody was funding the research. Uh, so for the creators of the show to take that identity and go forward, take that capability and go forward, I think it was a, a good exploration. It was a good exploration on, on two fronts. Uh, it was an exploration on Ada herself, uh, the creation of it, downloading personalities and what's uh, capable, you know, the, the typical can machines feel emotion. And that seems to be a motivating factor for Ada during this arc, right? Uh, what are the safeguards? What is she willing to do and willing not to do? Because we all say like with the Terminator, like, okay, Skynet's going to bomb us out as soon as it becomes self-aware, so to speak. And that is the questions. But it's being asked not on a global scale, but on an individual scale right here. Uh, the fact that Ada is doing this uh, at, a, at a high functioning level within the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe, uh, there's probably other things going on simultaneously. I mean, one could argue that Stark... And and what he's doing with uh, Friday and and um, Jarvis beforehand, I mean, that's already existing in the MCU. So 
and, and Ultron, right? That's already existing things that are in the MCU. So it just seemed to fit like, okay, let's tell this story on an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. level. I, th- I think it was well-placed again. I think they transition from story to story very well i think the lmd arc led in to the next arc very well uh i think you can't have one without the other actually uh almost think of the two arcs as the same but realize that there's a hard stop in between the two of them mostly because you had the the spring break in between the two right the the forest like three episode break but uh, yeah i i think it was aptly timed i think it was a well-told story and it's not done yet either. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny, I, going back to when I watched this for the first time, I remember being kind of ambivalent about the idea of them doing LMD stuff because I thought, well, we just did that in Ultron. And like, so why are we doing it again? But then to see where they took the concept and like the doubles and everything like that, watching it now, all I can think of is like, man, this is how they should have done Secret Invasion, right? With the kind of like, you don't know who is the person who has been replaced by a double, all of the tech all of the suspense like it, they they execute it so well in this in this short stretch of episodes and it's like man they it's it's wild that they haven't in a lot of ways been able to replicate what shield was able to do all those years ago in other properties that was a big thing as we were podcasting about secret invasion and it's like who is a alien who yeah. is a human and it turned out to be lackluster in the execution, but it was a big thing for us of wondering, okay, what what are you going to throw in here? And I think that's an issue with all of Marvel's stuff is we know all these Marvel things are out there and they don't bring them all in. And even in the comic books, they don't bring them all in, but we're disappointed as a fandom when they don't sort of thing. Um, I think that doing it this way within agents of shield, you've confined it with parameters of okay it's on earth no superheroes you're just dealing with the agents of shield team and then bad guys that are relevant to the agents of shield that's remaining and i I think it worked It, it worked and if you're throwing out something like secret invasion where you have what was it two million aliens living already on earth that's that's a little bit more of an issue it's not contained that's like mass infiltration so very different yeah and then to think what they ended up doing with that it just oh man well that's not what we're here to talk about today (laughs) but uh i'm gonna end on a topic uh, related to that in terms of fan expectations because and you've alluded to this several times there is this debate raging in shield fandom over whether or not what we saw is canon to the MCU or not. Some people feel very passionately on either side of the aisle, and and some people feel very ambivalent. They feel like, this is a show that I enjoyed. It doesn't matter to me if it's all connected really or not, or if it was and now it's in a pocket universe. Like These are things that some people just don't care about. Do you? Do you feel like this is an important thing for us to finally get resolution on? Is this this a debate that you feel invested in? It's important if you want to see Quake in future projects and a lot of people do and unfortunately for whatever reason i think kevin feige has never opened the door internally creatively towards it so canon head canon wise yes it because of all the crossovers and maybe now that they've opened up the multiverse agents of shield can just be a multiverse that occurs especially in the later seasons and you'll get to that eventually i guess but the fact 
that Kevin Feige basically it's the same thing as is Coulson ever going to beat the meet the Avengers again. It's like he can say things, but he has not once moved ahead of, yes, this is going to happen. Uh, we had at least in humans in Doctor Strange because you had Black Bolt in there and that was nice to see. And what a but, use of him in the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're going to use him, might as well use him that way. Right. <laughs> but the fact that Kevin Feige doesn't want to use in humans on a mass scale does not want Quake to move over. I don't think you're going to see Chloe Bennett in the MCU, which is really, really, really unfortunate. Melinda May, I think, would have the best shot of moving over just because she is revered by the executives at Disney. She's been in Star Wars. She's got a great, um, uh, great pedigree of great filmography that comes with her. Um, but you can't just move one person forward. And then also because of the multiverse thing, uh, you have, you have several endings at the end of agents of shield. So if, if you would say, okay, where is everybody today? You'd have to go to the end of agents of shield and then extrapolate a little bit. And some of the characters would simply, even with a multiverse scenario, be off the board already. Uh, I think Quake would be part of the conversation and should be part of the conversation. I think she should be part of the MCU, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. So when you talk about, is this show canon within the MCU? Yes and no. I think, yes, it is just because of the way it started in the crossovers in the first few years. But no, because I don't think there's ever going to be any use of it in the MCU going forward. Now, you say you, if you were to bring one of these characters in, you'd have to bring them all in, or at least their continuity in. But that's not necessarily true, right? If you see what they're doing with Daredevil right now, we have gotten Daredevil in a couple of appearances. He seems to, he's played by Charlie Cox, but he seems to be a different version of the character from probably a slightly different universe, right? When we've heard, we don't know exactly what this TV show is going to uh, be like, but we know, at least for now, unless they're hiding it from us, that many of the main characters from that show are not going to be a part of the new show moving forward so you could technically bring in a melinda may or a daisy johnson into a new uh, marvel thing and just say well this is you know the mcu version of them is that something that you would want to see or do you feel like if they can't play in the context of agents of shield with that story with those characters to bounce off of you want to leave them on the shelf and let them just be okay you could go many different ways from that um your reference of daredevil ask any real fan of the daredevil show and they will say one name karen page mm -hmm. and that is a showstopper for a lot of people right and karen page is right now not going to be ported over i think that is a mistake i don't know why that is the case to be honest with you but that's the decision that's been made so far and i think that becomes an issue uh foggy would be great to have as well uh some of the other characters but those three it's kind of a shame that they're not bringing them over from netflix i've seen charlie cox up close he's a great guy uh he takes his roles and his work seriously which is more than you can say with other actors uh in other series that were part of the defenders but i'm glad that they kind of focused on him to bring over to start uh, but i think it is a more rich universe that you should be moving forward with than just the one or two characters that are being ported over from daredevil you extrapolate that to agents of shield like i said melinda may i think would be the character that you could move over more 
most easily because of her relationship with the studio. But I think you're short-shirting a lot. You have the whole saber sword thing out there. So she switches agencies or whatever. Okay, I get that. But then make references to, you know, what's going on with the rest of the teams. You do have issues when you don't include fan favorite characters. And in this case, if they move Quake over, I think you've satisfied the fans. But I don't think Feige wants to move Quake over. And I think that's the sticking point. Yeah. And it's funny, uh, going back and listening to your episodes from way back in the day, you guys cover the news of the day in those episodes. And uh, Chloe Bennett, not shy at some of these public events, kind of criticizing Kevin Feige. Uh, And you wonder if maybe that had a lasting impact on this conversation. I don't want to uh, suggest that anyone is acting out of spite or holding grudges, but it certainly wouldn't be uh, the wildest notion if that was the case, which would be a real shame because Chloe Bennett is such a fantastic actress. This character is such a strong character who they invested such incredible character growth over the course of seven seasons. And, you know, it's not easy to be a fan favorite on a show with this big of a cast and this many people. And I think everyone who watched this show till the end really loves her and wants to see more of her yeah so if you're not going to bring them all over or enough over to satisfy fans it's probably better to keep them on the shelf and this is the story that we told and enjoy the story that's there and then you move on with your own stuff uh i I don't know what kevin's ultimately going to decide and here's the other thing kevin's not going to be in charge forever sure (laughs) it's just mortality right so eventually he's got to move on and place somebody else in charge you know even lucas sold off and kathleen kennedy is running the star wars ip for disney at least for now and i i think that the decision might not be permanent but as long as kevin feige's in the chair i think it's permanent and i don't you're absolutely right it could be i had a chance to meet up with her when she was at c2e2 i was having a podcasting panel she was having a bigger panel, we ran into each other backstage, whatever, and just said hi. That's that's about it, right? But uh, she struck me as somebody that had her head on her shoulders and was having fun. It's bad enough for me to get in front of a, a room full of people <laughs> talk about podcasting. I couldn't imagine these actors getting in front of people and having to be entertaining and <laughs> get out there and, and uh, be, you know, basically stand-up night uh, out there and, yeah. and not get yourself in trouble with the snipers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I think you did a great job not getting yourself in trouble during this conversation. Thanks so much for coming on and joining me. Uh, I want to give you a second because I know you're doing so many different fun things. Uh, Give you a second to tell our audience about some of those things where they can find you. So Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the podcast that I do about the Marvel Studios, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you can find that at legendsofshield.com. Also, I have a podcast about podcasting in case any of your audience is wanting to get into it like they're listening to you like i want to be part of this pod break stuff i, I want to move forward come listen to us at betterpodcasting.com and we'll set you up on uh, what you need to know going forward from a hobbyist standpoint if you want to make money podcasting well that's a different conversation but if you want to have fun podcasting come to betterpodcasting.com so those are two main shows that your audience might like from that i do very good okay well thank you so much thank you Thanks again, Rupert, for that expansive discussion.
session mm-hmm. on a decade of podcasting. Ooh, that's a track record, man. It, truly, it's I. If we're doing this in ten years, I feel like we've either really succeeded or really failed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, will this multiverse saga be over in ten years? Probably not. <laughs> so, if we get there eventually, uh, at least before the asteroid comes. Okay, now it's time to delve into the mid-season arc of season four, also known as Agents of Shield (LMD). We're gonna kick it off like we always do with Fury's Notebook. Now, because this is six episodes in the middle of a season of TV, not a lot of new characters being introduced. Uh, so this is short relative, especially from the last few where we've had like full casts of, of television uh, in each in each round. Um, but this time around, we only got three. Uh, we're going to kick on off with the most, unfortunately, important one, <laughs> although maybe Bill disagrees on that one. That is Zach McGowan as Anton Ivanov, the shadowy Russian national who is revealed to be the <laughs> superior, a man who hates Ooh. anything that stands in the way of succeeding through the old ways and who set up the watchdogs to help settle a score with Agent Phil Coulson, who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, Russian McRussian face is a really, he was, that's a that's a fucking pull right there as a villain. Like, he's yeah. the superior. I'm like, why? <laughs> somebody had to be. When I saw this originally way back in 2017, I could not take this character seriously at all because Zach McGowan, to me, was the kind of wacky himbo character from Shameless. Uh, who very much not Russian in that show, and he's just kind of like a dummy who is hooking up with Joan Cusack um, and is just a complete, sweet, lovable dummy um, who eventually gets cucked by William H. Macy. <laughs> so, wow, what a, what, a, what a shocking turn of events that sentence was. Shameless um, is never not shocking. Uh, so, uh, I only known him from Black Sails, that show on Stars, sure, starring the late, great Ray Stevens. And I imagine he's doing a different accent on that show as well. So He definitely was. He definitely was. <laughs> but I will say, having more distance from Shameless, I could take him a little bit more seriously. Uh, and we'll get into how effective that ended up being for me in a little while. But for now, we have to move on to one of his most important lackeys on this season. Uh, John Piper Ferguson as Tucker Shockley. He was an inhuman hating watchdog whose life quite literally blows up when he learns that he is not who he thinks he is and actually what he hates the most. That was the thing that happened. It happened over and over and over again. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I liked that uh, that turn at the end, uh, his turn, because it, it felt like it was definitely going one way with the senator and it went to him and I'm just like, ah, Speaking of surprises, our last new addition to the cast, just for one episode, but it's it felt meaningful enough to include it here. uh, Artemis uh, Pebdani, who plays LT Caning, the oldest sister of the Caning brothers, and the first member of the family to join Shield. It was a fun surprise when we oh. found out that there is finally a Koenig who is not played by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> One of the best episodes of the season. Absolutely. And Artemis, I mean, she's really funny on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you seen her on that? She's had a lot of kind of like bit parts on a lot of comedies over the years. Uh, and uh, I think they pulled her comedy chops well in this in this episode that she's in. I think so, too. Uh, but now we're going to move on to so Heimdall Memorial Heinstein Corner, where we talk about our reflections on the season as a whole – specifically when in regards to this six episode arc called agents of shield 
LMD. So, Bill, I'm just going to throw it out at you. You were very excited to know that we were going to be dealing with androids running amok, but we're surprised to find out that more than one was involved. I promised you more than one. (laughs) I was was like, holy shit. What was that on socially distance? We were like, oh, there's more than one. I'm like, what? I'm like, holy shit, there's more than one? So I haven't spoken to you at all about this, but I feel like what you were expecting to have this arc be about was everything that basically happens in the first episode that gets resolved and wrapped up with Ada getting her head chopped off. And then you find out, oh, there's actually a lot more going on. Am I right about that? I didn't have any expectations, to be honest with you. I I thought that was going to be, I thought the resolution would be a little head chopping for Ada at the end, but I actually wasn't quite sure what was going to happen this episode. But about two episodes in, something came back to me. uh, And that was a little sentence that you said to me over the summer when we were reviewing Secret Invasion, and you're just like, Jesus, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did, you know, the the complicated spycraft of switching identities better than Secret Invasion, which cost all this money to make. And I'm watching, I'm like, son of a bitch was right. right. (laughs) I was just like, it is better. I just felt there were so many great twists and turns in this pod of the season uh and man it, it, it's it, and it's when they, we they we get the radcliffe mm. reveal i and it is of all people our boy fits young leo you know nice and an innocent fits just caps radcliffe in the head and you're like holy shit and then it turns out it's a robot and also i like the fact that the other shield agent did not question for one second <laughs> give me your gun that was he's like i don't know if i should really give him my gun sir but it's an icer so i get it but it's at the it same did time take a chunk out of that robot's there, head so. so i think it was more than an icer <laughs> well he got iced all right but it's uh, yeah and then every time we turned around there was a new twist and a new thing that was happening and i was just like wow this is way again i say it every episode i'll keep saying it this is way more clever than and way more well done and emotional than what abc deserved and at the time because ever again this show was just it was just kind of when was this this was thursday night 10 o'clock so just and it was just absolutely getting annihilated in the ratings because <sighs> and no one wanted to watch it at that time again if this was on a on a different time in a different era this would have been like all we're talking about it was so good just the emotion that we see especially towards the end with uh with daisy and Gemma, uh like tr- trying to figure out who's who and it's very, very emotional. The Max storyline is really emotional, yeah. even though it's a very small part. We get like a, we get a, like a, a very Shades Mariah <laughs> thirst going on with May now, and Coulson. Bill, are you aware that there is a ship name uh, for this couple? They are referred to as Felinda with in the by the fan base. Me and SP Rupert talked about Felinda in our interview a little bit. Horrible. <laughs> It's not the best. It's a ba- okay. First, it's a bad name. It it's a shitty name. Speaking of ship names, this is kind of comes up later, but because I mean we're talking about it, we got to bring up the fact that uh, <laughs> that our boy, our boy Kaning, I forget which of the Kanings, but one of the Kanings uh, did let oh. Quake know, aka Daisy Johnson, that the internet uh, has oh. fan fiction about her and Black Widow that's called Quack, and 
I gotta tell you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that is apparently a real thing oh, that actually no. exists and is called that on the internet. <laughs> but in the meantime, that's not what we're here to talk I'm about. Uh, we're here I'm, to talk I'm about just so fucking... many things. And Bill, I loved your in, your your opening remarks because it basically hit on like every single thing that's cool and interesting that happened. But the thing that I wanted to to mention here is that w- watching it now, we know that this is a discrete pod, right? We knew that it was six yeah. episodes building to like a really cool climax with a great cliffhanger, right? But when I was watching this back in 2017, I was not aware of that. I knew like the the typical structure of a season of network TV like this is you build to a mid-season finale and then you build to the season finale, yeah. right? And so this is right in the middle of the season. All of a sudden, the pacing is just accelerated so high. You're not getting like the plot moving really inches by inch. It feels like everything is on the table and every week anything can happen to the point where when you're getting just a random episode in February and it's like Daisy Johnson, like with her full Sarah Connor on just like wailing down robots. And it just was incredible and so thrilling. And this was really when I was like, this is one of the best shows on TV and people have no idea because we are so deep in people completely giving up on shield is like, Oh, what a joke, you know, whatever. And it's like, man, this is what, you can do when you have the potential and you actually get the the, the creative people involved and that pod finale self-control episode uh, 15 first episode that jed whedon one of the showrunners ever directed on the show really really effective uh i wow. love that he picked that moment yeah. to get in there yeah. and i think that he proved himself because it is so tense the action sequences are fantastic uh, emotion yes. like what those actors are asked to do they really don't pull their punches they don't lean into the kind of like silly sci-fi stuff they play the reality of it in a way that is really really compelling but before we get into any of that we have to talk about senator nadir and her brother <laughs> and i gotta know how you feel about oh, yeah. this story arc. <laughs> oh man well you know i have a you have a special place in my heart for senator of nadir Going all the way back to the early two th- late nineties, early two thousands. Bill bent um, it like Beckham hard man, back in the day. <laughs> that's my joke usually. But Senator Nadir and man, that just I feel in the I'm gonna, it, it's actually sad that I'm saying this. It now just feels like this timeless thing that we're just going we have lived through for years and will continue yeah. to live through for years. And it's so realistic and so disheartened and i hate the fact it's like status quo of just like oh yeah these are the new yeah and, and of course this is like obviously going back forever it's like the the person the other the other uh, you know the uh marginalized group and they're, they're oh they're going to attack us and they're going to kill us and i just feel like in today's age has been accelerated and just put accelerant on and lit on fire especially during uh covid and everything else and still maintains a, a harsh hold on our reality right now that it was played perfect the fact she kills him was something i knew that was going to happen but i loved the performance there because it was partially like i have to be right and i have to stand to my political stance i also fear for my life because maybe i'm could become this too I think that's always in the back of her head. And she also fears for her life because she's like, if I don't do it, they probably will kill me. So it's like three things motivating her at the same time. And again, network television, three huge causes like motivating a character to do something so heinous and so evil that doesn't exist these days. And it didn't even exist back then or 10 years before it. It was just like, bong, bong. It's the third episode of Law and Order. (laughs) This is what we do. It went way deeper. Then and, and that was like what the second episode yeah. in the 
in the pod like it because it basically it's kind of a bridge story between two pods right we, we get it kind of set up towards the end of the first of course, pod yeah and it pays off right at the beginning of the second pod and the action sequence of the brother is great that stuff's awesome yeah they i mean we've had super speed a lot of ways over the years in our superhero content i think that uh you know super speed is the type of superpower that you can do pretty well on tv because it's just kind of a trick of photography right like somebody's here boop, now they're over there right um but it also gives you an opportunity to do some creative stuff in terms of the choreography if you if you have the vision and you have the time to execute it and we get a lot of that yeah. in this in this whole series thanks to elena um both in this season and and uh, last season we saw it as well but um but yeah i think that 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 the tension of that was really it was really effective because up until that point we really didn't know if he had any powers at all and then suddenly he did and then in that moment we didn't know did he even know that he could do that was this like a self-defense thing had he been hiding it and you don't really get a lot of clarity because the story moves no, really don't. fast but how did you feel about that do you feel like they rushed the resolution here or do you think like we got what we needed because basically like by like one episode later she gets blown up and that's the end of senator dear so do you think that this was a, a potent enough story that we could have let it linger longer or do you feel like they needed to just clear this up because they had bigger fish to fry hmm, that's interesting because i feel like the stuff with the brother i think was handled very well i think it was handled so ambiguously with his motivation like does he know doesn't he know and the fact we never get a clear answer to this i think is great because we we it, it adds to the debate the whole it's just like well are inhumans you know so i'm sure there are some people who watch this like well inhumans are a threat and most and other people are like no they're not and it keeps that debate going and also it's it's very ambiguous for nadir because she doesn't know so she is never fully sure of her actions and she's riddled with that guilt and i think the fact that we closed it off so quick with her yeah i feel like they are almost like this isn't an important story that's almost what it felt like they're like okay we're gonna move past this and nadir became a plot device where we thought we were going to get her turned into an inhuman. I'm glad that they didn't turn her into an inhuman. I think that you're. I think that you're oh, right same, that the anxiety same. that she has over whether she might be is an effective way to add depth to the character. But I don't love the the trope of like every marginalized person's biggest bigot is actually a marginalized person also because it just kind of it's it sort of ends up reinforcing the idea that like you know when it like a lot of the times we see this for like queer people for instance right it's like oh actually the biggest bigot against queer people is another queer person and what that what that does and i don't think people really realize this but it reinforces the idea that straight people aren't the problem it's still gay people and so then a lot of straight people can wash their hands of it because you're like well i'm not gay so i don't have to worry if i'm a bigot because the worst bigots are the gay people who hate themselves it's like well that's really letting a lot of people off the hook so i'm glad that they didn't go that way with her character yeah i think there was potential for her to stay around but i think that economy of storytelling in this season is one of its biggest strengths and so i'm glad that they didn't that they resisted the temptation to let it linger longer and have it play out in the background longer I don't necessarily like that it opens up the door to the superior, who we should probably talk about right about now, because, of course, we find out early on that Nadir is reporting to somebody named the superior, eventually find out who the superior is, uh, and he is the person who we talked about earlier, this shadowy Russian figure uh, who hates inhumans because real men work with onions or whatever the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> and uh... They drink? No, they smell... 
They smell onions after they drink sure. vodka instead of putting it's flavors the old in ways. it. Because I am a brother is the old ways. <laughs> and so what I'm going to tell you is, if you don't drink this like this, you're a mutant. And I don't like mutants. So here's what we're going to do. I, I think, like, obviously, like, okay, this is happening in 2017. We literally had just gone through this whole election cycle where, you know, the Russian state was uh, using the internet to manipulate and inflame te- tensions. No! Like, according Stop to it. congressional records. It's allegedly. not allegedly. <laughs> stated by the FBI. Allegedly. But, uh, so that's something that happened. So obviously they're playing directly into that because the, this is Russian national who is who has fostered this, like, uh, you know, bigoted group, the Watchdogs. But also, we're, this season is happening in the backdrop of, like, many seasons of arrow which had like vague russian elements and i think that there's like overlapping everything has vague <laughs> there's russian an overlapping audience and i just feel like if i didn't need an evil russian at the end of the the rainbow if we're gonna talk about just like once they get on this ship this it, it almost takes them to an island of like it's just not good because like he is just such yep. a caricature of a Russian bad guy. He's like, oh, Russian, bad, vodka, Russian, knives. And you're like, great, cool. Also, it looks like the boat from uh, <laughs> Casino Royale. Uh, where Jay, where Mads Mickelson like takes a rope and hits Daniel Craig in the nuts a whole bunch of times, and then we get everything is like kind of this is where Radcliffe's story gets mm-hmm. complicated. I feel like it's overly complicated, and there's like way too much talking and dialogue about well feelings and thoughts and reality and stuff. I'm like, guys, no, 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 no. Again, cut all the fat. Mm-hmm. You're really good at that this season. And when they're yeah. off the boat, they're fine. But when they get back on a fucking boat, it just gets to and his motivations, the superior <laughs> are awful like it's just like phil colson but so this is what saves it for me and i think it saved it for me much more than this watch than the first time around is that the show was it the flirting between felinda is that what's (laughs) no it's that the show lets clark Gregg as phil colson literally be like your fucking backstory is lame i don't care about you And they and they at least because that was like this that. level of self awareness that I feel like it could be annoying for some people and I totally respect if you would find it annoying because it's like well how about just work harder to tell a better story don't tell a bad story and then make fun of it like that's a little insulting to your audience but I and I could see someone feeling that way but when I watched it I was just like oh thank God they know that this is bad. <laughs> I've seen that happen in wrestling before where they're just like, it's a bad angle. And they're just like, you know what? This sucks. And we're just going to bail on it. And we're just going to close it up as fast right. as possible. And I'm fine with that because it just doesn't work. It's just well, like his motivations are very and here's the thing that I No, no, no. I mean, the Phil <laughs> but stuff Here's works. the thing that I know now that I didn't know at the time is that yeah. we're building to Ada being kind of the big bad for the final arc of the season. And so the fact that ultimately the yeah. superior doesn't really matter also makes watching those scenes on rewatch right this is a hindsight corner right we're out watching those sure. scenes in in hindsight it makes them much easier to swallow because you're like oh this is just a fucking meat puppet who they need to use to kind of move some pieces around <laughs> and then we'll be done with them soon but I didn't, I didn't think the pieces were moved awfully well when they're in that again like i said it also kind of muddies the radcliffe stuff with the framework and ada's feelings and stuff and i'm like guys we're just getting a little too in the sauce right now like we're getting too techno babbly and you know, the first year philosophy student stuff about feelings and emotion and stuff. I felt like, but once they got off the boat and we see the who Ada is based off of, and then Radcliffe has explained the framework in regards to that. I'm like, yeah. wow, that's beautiful. I love this. And then we are finally able to reel it in with Ada being like, well, 
I'm not going to kill you because you're weak. Like that works, but like there's so much on here with the with the overseer. It was just, how did the you overseer. feel sticking to the like, superior for just one last second? How did you feel when uh, like the show cuts to Ada with the chainsaw and he's passed out? God. Like it's like good, <laughs> so fucking funny. I, it, it really it's also funny because he's it's just so like so funny. And it's such a wild thing for them to just fully lean yeah. into, and I really respect them for that. They don't hold you know back. Why? I, so this show it's a weird parallel but i might have made this before it's very much like hannibal where they're like listen no one's watching let's just fucking do something wild here let's chainsaw motherfuckers guts out yeah if they call us out on it we'll cut the scene who cares but let's see if we can get away yeah, with it we're at and i felt like now, hannibal baby. did the Come same on, let's go <laughs> hannibal's like let's see somebody's brains all right does nbc really care let's have a psychic freeway uh with a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> that's i mean Hannibal, right. that's another conversation for another time uh speaking of slash that is literally fiction. slash fiction <laughs> yeah. come to life it truly is but speaking of ships and relationships um i don't know what the ship name is for mac and elena but they are having a lot of fun together in this season elena kind of took the it's mocker it's macarena <laughs> I mean, it could be. It's Macarena. It <laughs> so, is. I'm just saying, it's Macarena. So, she, so you know, the character of Elena, she is uh, not a series regular this season, so they ha- kind of have to pick their spots and when they want to use her. I feel like they used her very strategically and effectively in the first pod. Yes. I think that they did here as well, right? You get a progression in their romantic relationship. How did that story work for you? You kind of alluded to it initially in your initial thoughts, but I want you to kind of like dive deep both on that and also the fact that Mac fucking hates robots and uh, they really were able to bond over that (laughs) in a way that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, first off, he's fucking right. (laughs) He's just always like, have you guys ever watched a movie? It never goes well. Elena says it best when she says, smart people are so stupid. (laughs) Or it's just like literally these rules are stated yeah. in film. And I love that about Mac. And that would kind of be me. If they're like, hey, we got robots. I'm like, oh, shit. This is going to go real bad, guys. This is like AI and robots. It's like anytime anyone in real life is like, hey, Bill, AI. I'm like, it's fucking Skynet, <laughs> dude. I don't want to talk about it. This thing is going to go really bad. And uh, they're like, you're just overreacting. I'm like, fucking watch Terminator 2. Or Terminator 3 or Terminator 4 or Terminator 5, Terminator 6. I mean, they actually make a pretty funny joke about that. Oh, yeah. They, they did. say that they do. they're going to they force Radcliffe to, to watch all of the Terminators. And she says, even Terminator Salvation? That seems harsh. And he's like, yeah, he deserves it. It was. Yeah. yeah. That's true. If you're a piece of shit, you should watch Terminator Salvation. I think that's great. It's really cute. And they don't go too much with Mac and Yo-Yo because, and I think that's fine because it's like, that's not the story we're telling here. We were really talking about Inhumans before, and 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 also we finally break through with Mac on a huge storyline. Why does he feel so guilty? Why? What is troubling him? What like what is on his heart that he's always got something? Why did? Why was he allowed to have Ghost Rider? In, in yeah. why did Ghost Rider cling to him? And we find out it's because he lost his daughter after four days. And I mean, as a parent, that's like losing a child is the worst thing that ever happened. And so for him to always have that and never even tell Coulson, guy he spent six months on a plane with, he's probably never told anyone. And it it really symbolizes how much he loves Yo Yo. 
and hopefully it does not set up for one of their deaths in later seasons because that's what <laughs> stuff like that usually does. And Alex I, smiles. I'm like, not saying anything. <laughs> uh, but what but, I will what I will say is that I agree with you, and I think Henry Simmons just knocks it out of yeah. the park. He is, of course, Mac, and I think that he is. Why does he not do more? I don't know because like, he's so good on this show, he's very and he, good. they ask him to do so many things. And if you look, he hasn't done a lot since Shield ended. And I know it's kind of like. It finished filming in 2018, the last, or in 2019, the last season aired in 2020, obviously the pandemic and then the strike. And I, so I think a lot of people's careers have kind of like slowed down during that period of time. So I think it was probably particularly rough timing for him to come off of a network show. Uh, but he's such a talented actor and he carries so much of the weight of this show. And I love that this, yeah. I love this choice because like I don't love that you know we need to have a trauma in order to make him more interesting as a character I think there's other ways to make characters more interesting it can sometimes be a cliche but everybody has trauma that they have to deal I, I with I think he is already and interesting I, what I, and I talked about this a little bit in our in the interview earlier in the episode but I really like that this is the type of retcon that works perfectly because it feels consistent with the character that we've seen before and when you look back on his interactions yeah. with the people close to him and his relationships and the guardedness that he often is and the distrust over a lot of things like it all makes sense that he had this trauma motivating him and under the surface it doesn't feel like a wild sort of yeah. like oh and i actually lived on mars for a while and, and you never would have known like this feels very consistent with the character that we've got yeah i we we don't we've got enough uh time with him to find him interesting <laughs> his fear yeah. of robots is great axe shotgun his relationship with fitz and by the way i think that's something we need to discuss too uh, basically he puts all that yeah. guilt on fitz he's just like you did this this is your fault you need to own your shit and i love how that also plays into like yeah. fucking smart writing here man does that totally fits yes. both their characters and then and, that plays into the leader. And you know what I really liked reveal. about that? I, I mean, I love the performances of those two, but I also like the show's choice yeah. that when Fitz goes to, to Gemma later to talk about it, Gemma doesn't say Mac is wrong. She doesn't say, oh, he just doesn't understand. He's, he's overreacting. He doesn't know what a good man you are. She says, he's right. You shouldn't have rushed into this. You did make a mistake. I know that it came from a good place and that's what I love about you. I don't want this to be a reason why you doubt yourself, but it is a reason why you should think more before you do something and i think that most shows would not have done that they would have let they would have had the love interests yeah like, i was say, like, surprised like beef him up and say like oh come on we love you you're the greatest don't let that guy bring you down and it's like no they actually call their characters out and let their characters be wrong because that's more interesting when the characters actually get to be wrong if a character never gets to be wrong they never get to grow and then uh it can be very boring <laughs> to watch but uh yeah so there's so there's all that i mean speaking of people growing uh the canings are growing oh. in number uh did let's talk about that episode a little bit the hot potato episode of the show hot potato soup which one i'm a huge fan of it's fantastic that whole episode i think it's really the culmination of the of the may arc which we haven't talked about yet ming na wen in this season i mean we thought after everything that she went through in season three with andrew and the you know all that stuff that that was as much as she could take and what she does here as two different characters basically two different versions of herself one a robot and one a a person trapped in, in the matrix basically mm -hmm. just like incredible incredible acting such great performance and what i love so much about it is that she's so often typecast as this physical performer and obviously this show taps into that often but this gives her so much great emotional stuff to work through and she's kind of funny in it too 
<laughs> her yeah. shit with Clark Gregg is like fucking rom-com central. It's just like, we get it. You guys undercover boned, and that's wild. <laughs> but like, we need to unpack that for a second. But like, like there was some serious rom-com vibes there. And I, yeah. I really, all right, this doesn't sound weird when I say it, but it's like so cool that we get to see Clark Gregg and McNaughton when age-appropriate people in a relationship with each other. It wasn't yeah. just like, oh, well, you know, Coulson and Sky, you know, because sure. gross. But, you know, I, it, it just makes sense. Like, it's just like, this is great. And this, their chemistry together is like, we know Clark Gregg is, is great with chemistry with everybody, but like, this is like, and you what could, did you just, think you could getting... just cut everyone else from the show, <laughs> focus on that, and everyone's like, great, good. Yeah. What did it. you think about getting a full flashback uh, storyline for oh, them in that one episode? With, we, got May, we got May with the bangs, uh, just totally nagging him the whole episode. <laughs> he was like, before he was like slick Clark, uh, slick Phil Coulson, yeah. he was this like complete dork Phil yeah. Coulson, which is one hundred percent right. Like, of course he was. Yeah, of course he was. I mean, even like when he was in uh, Captain Marvel, he was a bit of a dork, you yeah. know. So he's he was a new guy with a bad rug, and it was <laughs> like, man, it was so good. And he was doing his uh, biohazard thing back then. He pulls that old gag, which is a new gag for him. Yeah. They were great together. And, like, it really sells it even more. But then, but that also juxtaposed the whole LMD talk between the two, the two LMDs talking. Yeah. Oh, my God. Where we just... have to, I wish we could spend an hour talking about that scene because that was so wild. Ooh. Like, the idea that Clark Gregg and Ming-Na Wen get to play robot versions of their characters having conversations with each other about what their real-life car- counterparts would be thinking and feeling that was so wild yeah. and trippy and i just it made me it really made me laugh uh and i just oh, i west, love the oh, west world <laughs> west world wishes they had done that yeah uh but you know well, listen i can admit, finally admit it and <laughs> yeah you watch that scene and then you you kind of have to question yourself or your perceptions of the human characters you're like well may is so you know she's so close to the best like does she really feel this way about Coles? right and you kind of can assume yes. Like you have to. I like I assume yes. But but Coulson talking about ah, I just wish I went to the civilian life. I was like, I don't know if I buy that. Like is or is that Radcliffe talking? Because Radcliffe's like, I know what you want. I'm playing God, and like I just don't know if Coulson was the type. Well, the what he says, which I think makes sense for this character specifically, it's not that he wishes that he could just have a normal life. It's that his well, it's, pain, it's that yeah. he feels like if he hadn't joined Shields, he would not have made all of the mistakes that haunt him that led to people's deaths and so therefore it's all self-hatred and guilt right it's all guilt for him and so he feels like if he never put himself in the position to try to help people and fail then those people would have been better off and i feel like that is such a it's Mm. such a potent emotional trauma to tap into for your lead character of your like action adventure like mystery of the week character lead character because i think that's something that a lot of people can relate to um but it's not the sort of thing that we let heroes express that often right we kind of have to have that clarity that sense of purpose and if if they feel guilt over what happened we want them to be motivated by that guilt and the idea that they would feel so much shame as a result of their guilt that they would think that a better world would have had them not be a hero ever in the first place that's pretty powerful reminds me of something steve rogers probably would have said i I don't know like something about the steve rogers character of like the decisions he made and stuff he did he wished yeah 
you know, because of people close to him dying. It actually reminds me of, not to like disagree with you, but it actually reminds me of a great scene from Civil War. A movie I don't like. <laughs> where Steve Rogers says to Tony Stark when he's trying, when Tony's trying to like court him and get him to sign the Sokovia Accords, which are very important to this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mind you. Very true. He's, he basically says like, uh, like Captain America says, you know, I sometimes I wish that I, I could look the other way when something bad happens. So that way I didn't have to help. And Tony calls him out on it immediately he says no you don't and he goes you're right i don't (laughs) because that's who he is he's not he doesn't want to give up that responsibility that guy needs that responsibility it's the it's the only thing that keeps him going so the idea that clark Gregg's character the phil colson might have so Mm. much doubt and so much shame that he feels like maybe the world would be better off without him i don't think that's something that steve rogers has ever thought that's true i don't know it's just something wholesome about it that's why i don't know he just felt like looking out for other people that's what i was like kind of getting Radcliffe feels like he's looking out for other people and they just don't understand him very well. What did you think? Because if we look at like the kind of trajectory of these six episodes, the Radcliffe character is truly on a roller coaster ride, but not the kind that goes up and down. It's the kind that spins around in circles <laughs> because you truly it makes you barf. You truly never know if that guy's ever standing on solid ground, right? There's they do a really good job of kind of moving the ball with him where you constantly are unsure of what you're seeing is truly his intention or if it's a misdirect but i'm curious if that got tiring for you or if you think that it was effective throughout the whole six episode arc again when he's on the ship with when he is on the caning with caning and uh russian mcrussian phase it just gets too much it's just like the the bouncing back and forth i think the jargon and the over talking just gets a little too much for me and you think it's all misdirect and solved double talk and espionage and whatever he's just conning everybody and then you see the woman he models Ada off of. I feel like that that hits you in an area of like that is a hundred percent true. Everything he initially started to do and why he went down this wild rabbit hole of death and corruption and er- everything that happened was for this person. And of course, this person is Agnes, the, his the love of his life, as far as we can tell. She has an inoperable yeah. brain tumor that is that is fatal and is likely to kill her soon. And and basically, medical science has failed her, and she's kind of resigned herself to the fact that she's going to die. She's gone back to uh, to, to travel the world, and uh, in the time that she has left because Radcliffe promised that he would save her and then kind of at least from her perspective abandoned her uh and then modeled a robot after her likeness which I I feel like her uh response to that was very appropriate (laughs) yeah no and I agree but I feel like at the end like he pure like we've seen this on other shows and movies and stuff like that where people are trying to do something to save someone and they will do literally anything and no one will stop them and I felt like that was his moment of purity right there because that was always the goal to do that and then everything's spun out of control and i think that john hannah really plays that really well he's he's i mean he's a very talented actor i think almost overqualified for the role that they've put him in but you could tell that they really wrote to his strengths as that character got to have more and more of the spotlight and i think he's just his sincerity and well of emotion is so vast and so effective that it really does win you over to him right at the moment that you are completely out on him as a character you know i think that it's it's kind of a magic trick that they pull you back in after you know you're, you're with them and then you're like ah oh, he he screwed us over and then you're like oh this guy's terrible and then you're like oh no now i want him to win again <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, because he all remember before that was the fifth stuff with yeah. the dad, where he was just basically like, "Fuck you." Although to be fair, that was robot him, so like, who knows exactly? How, I mean, he technically programs the robot, so I guess that's yes. Yeah, so but, that's what it means. But as we've seen, robots sometimes take directions too far in this show. <laughs> right, but he's an extension of him, and you 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 associate that with him, yeah. so you're just like, oh, like he programmed him to, to, to he knew the the buttons to push, and it's poor yeah. Fitz. Our boy, come on, and and like, and that's just low shit. And then you see Agnes stuff, and you're like, oh, I feel so bad. And then he does more stuff, and then Aiden kills him. And you're like, oh, all right, yeah. I guess did, you're so gone let's now. just jump right to that. Like, what did you think of that ultimate conclusion for his arc? Uh, the idea that she's basically, if you ha- if you don't remember, like. Ada basically says, look, you've given me two directives. Protect the framework, which is basically like the Matrix. It's simulated reality that runs on a computer. Protect the framework at all costs and protect your life at all costs. But my analysis has shown that because you are such an erratic character who constantly goes back on what he wants to do, um, which is a true read on that on Radcliffe. So she's completely right about that. Yeah. You're the emotional way that you, that you, your logic works. You are the greatest risk to the framework. So I don't know how to compute that. And then he says this thing about how like, Oh, you don't have to worry about the framework because it's so wonderful. And if you're hacked into that, then you're still alive. And she's like, Oh great. Well then I'm going to do that. And so that way you're not a problem anymore. (laughs) And boom, he's, dead yeah they set the rules up so i mean they they really play within the rules of what they set up about the framework and him and mal we haven't mentioned the name mallory jensen and the, who plays ada and agnes i should add and she's oh she's incredible. awesome and I've, obviously we saw her at the very beginning of this season just kind of being like a naked lady like giving <laughs> giving fits the vapors right so it's like to actually get to build out a really fascinating character not, not uh, two characters really with agnes and that by the way is her natural accent as Agnes because she is British and Australian. She gets to kind of have her Aussie accent in there. Uh, but yeah, I think that she does an incredible job. And I think that a lot of this season doesn't work nearly as well if she's not doing amazing work here. Yeah, she is phenomenal. And I'm just remembering her from this really not awesome show called Gallivant, which was on ABC. <laughs> but, sure. um, and I was like, oh, that was like the musical sitcom set in medieval yeah, times. right? <laughs> yeah, that was there was so <laughs> many decisions made there and they weren't all good. Uh, but that was like, Glee is really popular. How can we have our own? Let's Glee? make and Camelot. Was like, what if we do medieval times, but Glee? And they're like, yes, that's the same. We, they won't <laughs> give us the rights to spam a lot. So we'll call it. Gallivant, and you're like, all right, cool. Uh, but no, yeah. she's awesome, and she sells this, and in, in a way that these roles are often like death traps for actors because it's just like play a robot. You, sometimes if you do it too well, it's 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 very robotic and it's boring, and and then right. the other ways it doesn't feel like it's a robot. So I think you have to walk this line, and I think her actually some of her best stuff comes with Russian McRussian face, where she starts assert herself as like I am the boss here. Yeah. And I think that, uh-huh. that's what I really like. I also like her stuff with May, where May goes through the Matrix and she's running, 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 running. And then she gets to the apartment and she's like, hello, Agent May. And she's, May's just like, son of a bitch. And they have to fight. <laughs> I really love that part because it's just the way she uses her eyes and this, like, the glee she had in, like, she's not supposed to feel anything, but she definitely does. Like, the glee she has that May just keeps going forward with this. And yet, but Ada keeps winning is really cool. 
And I think that's not, that's not an easy one to pull off. No, not even a little bit. Another performance that we haven't really talked about at all this episode yet that is that is trying to go for a lot of different things is our man director Jeffrey Mace, played by Jason O'Mara. I thought of you, Alex, when he had no shirt on in the um, the jail, and I'm like. <laughs> Alex said he's a handsome man. I was like, good for you. Yeah, Alex. I mean, he's a handsome Enjoy. man. It's not like my preferred type, but I mean, he's definitely we got know. it going on. So. We know. He's no Timothy Chalamet. That is certainly true. He is a very different body type than Timothy <laughs> Chalamet. We can agree on that. <laughs> he's also like double his age. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, I feel like maybe wouldn't uh, ash a, a crowd of people at his concert like our boy Timmy did. Uh, but that's uh, that's a topic for another time. So <laughs> I want to know, we talked a lot about Mace last week last month because obviously he was the new dog in town we didn't know if we could trust him we there, he had secrets we get the secret reveal here we find out not an inhuman faking it but with the help of the government of course you know he didn't save anybody on purpose in vienna he didn't do any of the things that he is gets the credit for but he is genuinely a good person who wants to do good what do you think about that resolution to his character and then when he just gets the absolute shit beat out of him um as a way to at all at all times (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh i loved it i I always thought his character was like you could easily write it off in the first pod as like one note he's just like he's the politician and like there was always something about him though that was like he had a good sense of humor about him and he like really tried to engage with the team but what i like about this one is like he comes out as a fraud and then is a complete almost comical slip on a banana peel character that can't do anything right he is just worthless especially when like that very cool episode where they're at the uh where they're at that cabin yeah that whole episode is basically it's called the patriot it's all about him basically it's his big reveal it's like this is who he really is um and it's yeah it's the sort of like hero origin story and also um his his guy uh pr agent burrows just totally goes Ooh. out like a jump just gets sucked out of like okay i want to know what your reaction to that was because if you haven't watched it, oh, it basically great. like there's this like uh. there's this moment where like they're at this press conference awesome. there's an there, there's threat to his life so phil and and mac and the director and burrows who's his kind of right hand chief of staff guy they all get into a plane they all evacuate try to get to safety and the plane door just blows off while it's in the air. And our guy, he got up to get a better signal on his phone and just gets blown straight out and he is dead. And nobody cares, like not even a little bit. Mace is Mace oh, wants no, to oh, find his body Mace? because he is attached yeah. to the steroids that he takes to get strong. But not even he cares about Burrow's body. It's pretty rough. It's like the I'm ultimate so L awesome. for this character who like, I don't know. Do, I don't, do you think he deserved that? <laughs> absolutely what a weasel he wasn't like a a great guy but i feel like he was he got the kind of like the jurassic world nanny treatment where the the nanny just gets picked up by the bird and then get the bird gets eaten by another larger dinosaur while she's well it's the original jurassic park it's the shitty lawyer in the in the bathroom who who yeah but he's a bad guy he deserved it the nanny was just like like kids get off your cell phones once or twice like she didn't really do anything wrong to get that you know sometimes people gotta die for comedic effect in shows and movies i fully forgot that was gonna happen and i did laugh out loud i was like oh my god (laughs) but (laughs) so brutal but i love that mace was like i had this like death drive like i want to be a hero and i need to be a hero because i lied and like that's something like there's something powerful to that because he feels the shame of just like i lied to everybody including phil who whether he who he kind of cops to being like i respect the shit out of phil colson and phil colson put his faith in me 
And I lied to him. And I lied to everybody, including the American public. So now he's like, I got to do something to to make right. And he, I mean, let's face it, his idea to be like the blocker uh, and just barely stop a not truck. Not the best plan. Uh, not the best it plan. It was not the, not the best plan. And also didn't really have those superpowers that would help him block the truck. Like that, that serum ran out fast. <laughs> yeah, it well, it was probably all water down sure. and his body's breaking down and i like the fact that he he's taking his lumps and he's getting the shit kicked out of him for everyone he's he's trying to do his best to be a part of the team and you you gain a newfound respect for a guy who's kind of like when he's revealed you're like kind of a liar and a coward but when you see him just getting beaten up by all those dudes you earn respect for him and i think that's great because he's the type of character that's just like again a lesser show would have been like yeah. oh, fuck that guy he's gonna just kill him off who cares you know, he would, you know, he deserves to die because he's a liar. And so the show is punishing him, but they don't punish him. No, because he's a good man, even though he lied. And like, he feels like he lied because he could do the most good by lying. And you believe him like that's the, yeah. like most of the time when that would be presented, you'd be like, what a misguided person. Like he's made a terrible mistake, but he kind of wasn't wrong. Like it would have blown up in his face eventually and it probably would have been bad. But like you understand the earnest sincerity behind that in a way that like is really uncommon in a story like this and i think that jason o'mara goes a long way to selling it too i, I think his best line was i really do believe that inhumans should be treated well essentially yeah. i'm paraphrasing yeah but it's just like that could, he could just could have been that could have just been his pr line but he was like no i really do mean this and you're like wow okay like i guess i do have to believe yeah. this guy and you kind of it also kind of helps that it's like he kind of got like hoodwinked by the like he got he got sweet talked by the u.s government into doing this which i think helps a little bit too it doesn't take the moral responsibility away from him like he made the, that choice no. but it's not like it was his secret plan that he was doing behind everybody's yeah, back he didn't come up with, he didn't come up with a formula and he wasn't you know doing that he was he his arm was slightly yeah he twisted. got his ego or i should flattered. say lightly twi <laughs> lightly twisted he got his ego like flattered that. enough to believe that he was the guy that needed to do this and and you believe that that came from a pure place but also you know all of there's ego involved and i like that too like they don't he's not a saint either he's a person he really feels like a person by the end of this and i think that's a compliment because the whole first arc is about who is this guy where are we going to land with him how can we trust him and they really tried to spin the dials on that and i think they landed with these this set of episodes in a place where it's like oh this is a guy that we actually yeah. care about and we respect and we understand and connect with that's hard to do most Absolutely. of the time when you're trying to play oh, allegiances and, and all that stuff and all the subterfuge you lose the core of a person and they become a plot device you know and i feel like with yeah. mace with the radcliffe character they're able to still make these people feel human at the end of the day and people you want to root for that's really, really challenging 100 percent, and like and it's over a long period of episodes too which is even harder to do, especially because you have to sustain it and you know obviously the the pod arcs help but at the same time yeah it's a lot now somebody that we haven't talked a lot about this and this is kind of going to be our last point to bring up here before we move into our rewards we haven't talked about Daisy at all. I think Daisy has a lot of great moments that we'll get into in, in a little while in terms of like action moments and things like that. But she really takes a back burner as yeah. a character in this set of episodes and lets the other characters shine. And I think that yeah, was a really absolutely. smart choice because we get so much of her 
arc in the first pod with Ghost Rider. Like she is truly the lead of the show and and carrying significant screen time every single episode. And here she takes a little bit of a step back. She is a supporting character to Simmons. She's a supporting character to Mace. She's a supporting character to Coulson. She's got a great line when uh, <laughs> when Coulson figures out that May is a robo May, as as you may say. Um, and then all of a sudden she gets blasted and you see that it's Daisy comes over and she's like, so May's a friggin' robot. Like, I love that line <laughs> delivery. <laughs> I, that's so probably great, what I, Bennett. I would have said that. <laughs> and he's like, how did you know? And she's like, because Simmons told me, how did you know? There's a great little moment of comedy during, after what is a really tragic emotional scene where the, where the May where Maybot is basically like, I my programming is forcing me to pull a gun on you and I love you more than life itself. And also I'm not a real person, but I feel so many things. Like that it was really a lot. And so the fact that they nailed the joke at the end of that is pretty impressive because that could have gone, you know, it could have felt like it really undermining the moment. But I, I loved each piece of that. I thought it was really good. She has been so at the forefront of yeah. every season. I think you have to at times. You have a rich cast that you've spent so much time with. And even we think about like Fitz and, and Simmons, they ebb and flow from the front to the back as well. And I feel like that's so, sort of kind of what the se- season is. It's like, okay, we're going to have a couple Phil ones, Radcliffe, you know, Mac. Uh, and that's, I, I like that. But it I, doesn't I've feel been, as uh, contrived as like Lost bad. often would, where no. it's like, this is a Sawyer episode and everything's about Sawyer. This is a Jack no, episode. because it's... It- it's sometimes within the same episode too. It's right. just like, okay, we're going to focus like 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, five minutes here. And they all, again, we, there's no wasted time really here. So I, I, I really think that they did a great job of making this more of an ensemble piece because that really plays into the end where people are replaced because now we've got all this emotion, more emotional connection with people, more story with them. And now it's like, oh, fuck, they're all robots. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, so it's just like, and that plays into the mystery, especially when we get to our drama. Uh, slate your ass. That fucking Yeah, scene. so Holy let's shit. slow the roll because <laughs> I feel like uh, if we're going to talk about the finale of this pod, we have to move into our next segment. Karen? 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 Karen. 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 Wow. So it is, of course, time for the Karen Page No Good Horrible Very Bad Day Award. I was just thinking about this (laughs) award because I was like, man, it feels like 10 years ago when we watched it. I know, right? It feels like so long ago, like like another lifetime ago. ago, But that feels like a whole other world. I know. (laughs) But yeah, so. I feel like season one was closer than Daredevil. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so the, if you haven't listened to the show before, the Karen Page No Good Horrible Very Bad Day Award is the award that we give for the worst day of a uh, character on the show this season, this pod in this case. I think a lot of people uh, could be up for this. We talked about Burroughs. Uh, Burrow gets a real rough <laughs> rough day, um, but it happens real fast. So, you know, I feel like that's uh, the brevity of it. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for him. There's some really top-notch uh, candidates. I'd like to hear what you think on this topic. Uh, it's Gemma. It's got to be Gemma. Yeah. Because she asks Fists to cut his wrists, and then, and then he, it looks like... He does. And she doesn't know if she's a... And then she doesn't know if he's a robot. She doesn't know if and she's then, a robot. Exactly. And then she thinks everyone else is a robot, including Sky. 
and 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 she thinks we gotta she think, we gotta and, talk a little bit more about that the, that scene we will because because uh, oh, yes in the finale <gasps> basically the cliffhanger for the penultimate episode of the pod is Gemma and Fitz realizing that everybody else is an is a LMD right because of the scanner that they see so you start out the next episode you're kind of like oh no it's them against the whole team but the team is robots really tense and then at a certain point you realize that oh no actually one of them is a robot yeah and they don't know who it is and the acting in this show is so fantastic you believe it so hard that both of them are just completely like and then (laughs) and then the reveal where because yes bill described fits uh under simmons direction cuts his arm open and blood starts gushing Um, over everywhere and the blood is enough to make to make simmons believe like he is actually a person she feels so terrible he really sells it as you said yeah and and the thing is like he's also saying all these things to her to drive her nuts like he's like i would never do this you're the one who has a gun on me like why would you make me do this like all these things i just made these things to protect you which also kind of plays a little into how radcliffe if you Mm -hmm. watch back is like radcliffe kind of says some similar stuff to that but in the moment you're not going to get that because holy shit which one's a robot and which one's not it's excellent gaslighting on her and on the audience in a lot of ways yeah and then and then the turn he's what happens is she gets no so she gets close enough because she's like giving him a rag to kind of like hold on his wound and she gets close enough and he is just like oh thank you so much i'm in so much pain and then as soon as he's close enough he just (laughs) his face just completely drops into like a total like affectless look and he like swings the the knife that he had in his hand into like a stabbing position and just like slices her achilles (laughs) it's just right in the leg just completely emotionless and it's just such the cold it's the coldest turn that this show has ever done it's so brutal and so so awful for Simmons, who we love so much and who's been through so much, and this couple has been through so much. Yeah. And oh my I, god! And then she well, has who cuts to his, well, cut his then, throat. Yeah. So she well, she has to cut his throat, and then the way that she gets him is she uh, he underestimates his surrounding, which is a classic mistake, and she has basically like a block, uh, like a like a like the center block of a of, of like a car, uh, just drop on him, like an engine block, I should say, of a car, just drop on him, which was hanging in the rafters, uh, and it completely just wipes him out uh and but but the most fucked up thing is that he still looks like fits and he sounds like fits and he acts like fits and it's fits personality so she has had to go through this experience of brutally murdering the man that she loves who had tried to kill her because she's a he's a robot and he says he wants to marry her which he's never talked about and you were like oh well obviously and then of course she is that and the, the, the brilliance of the scene is she is acting like she's the robot uh-huh. she's acting like i have the gun on you and she's acting very robotic but she's also just like shit scared and is trying just to stick to her basics of confront and do this and then but she fucking runs into daisy later <laughs> they're both like a daisy also not the best day no. for her because mac has tried to kill her and she's running to a hundred yeah, she runs downstairs to the little pod that they have Imagine if Just you ran down a flight of stairs. Of, you see a hundred of yourself in your underwear, and you're just like, ugh. You know, I, if I saw that, I'd be like, fucking gross. Why? The fact Who that she did had this? The, the fact that she had the presence of mind to like take off her clothes and stand there with all. Well, of them. thank God she had matching. She had matching yeah. clothes. 
for that because because obviously it's all black and it's emo daisy so i mean like because imagine she's like ah oh, it was laundry day and i only got these like it's only chartreuse today guys and you're like ah yeah. you know oh, it's man. just like that's brutal and then she has oh, that great man. fight scene which, which we'll talk about i'm sure in a minute between mac and, and colson yeah and stuff, but, but but the scene with with daisy uh, with uh Gemma and her is great because it's just like they are very close yeah. friends and she doesn't know if she can even trust her own friend. And she's like, I will quake and, you know, this and that. And it's she just at one point is just yelling at her. And she's like, I just yeah. can't lose you two. And they play the emotional reality of a completely insane situation. And they, they just the two of them together. I mean, the three of them, including Fitz, like they just knock that out of the park. It's so it's so fantastic. Really and you do. really it would be so easy to play this like an action movie where it's like, oh, she got rid of Fitz. And it's like now she's like tough. And like, ah, I figured it out. But no, she is completely destroyed by that as any human would be if they had gone through that experience. And yeah, and uh, the scene where they hug and it's like and speaking of ships uh, let me tell you uh, that <laughs> that set off a few into the ocean um but <laughs> they it, it's a beautiful scene um of friendship i was here for it i love the two of them together and it really feels hard one because remember you know they were fitz and simmons both felt really alienated by uh sky daisy for a long time because of daisy going through this whole inhuman thing and everything else like you think about season two when Gemma is basically inadvertently threatening to you know uh sterilize and maybe uh cremate daisy because she's looking at her as some like infectious disease not knowing that she what's going on exactly with yeah. human stuff um so to get from there to here this moment where they're the only it's the two of them against the world it's incredible i definitely agree that's they they get the dual award for the worst day shout out to may being stuck in a loop <laughs> i think that was pretty rough um when she she's at first put into the framework and she's supposedly in this in, in this spa getting a massage and she's like I, got, I don't have time for this i gotta get out of here and then the world resets and she has a nervous breakdown <laughs> it's like yeah that makes sense of course why would they think that would have worked <laughs> loved that and then then yeah. realizing like oh she just has to be fighting someone and then she'll stay so you get that whole sequence did that fool you did you when you see it the first time through did you think she was escaping or did you think it was a simulation yes 100 nice. percent Hundred percent thought she was escaping till she got to the uh, apartment, and I'm like, uh, oh, I'm like, <laughs> I don't think this is gonna work out too well because I feel like it's just like one you would have opened it like I'm just like it's in the same apartment complex because I'm just like, well, because I'm like he she enters the door and it's like there's the outside right there. She's gone up all these stairs. What the hell did these stairs come from? And then I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> It's a great reveal. Also, like, shout out to Robot May realizing she's an android. That scene between her and Radcliffe is un- incredible. Uh, Ming-Na Wen just... Oh, no, 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 no. No, the scene yeah. between her and Phil Those, at yeah. the end. So Ming-Na Wen just absolutely that's killing it as usual on this show. Just such an underrated asset in the Disney universe. Those were the bad days. Some fun days. Hallway Fight Hall of Fame Award for our favorite oh, action boy. moment. Lots to choose from. Bill, what is yours? Oh, hands down, it's the Mace-Daisy fight. That's the best one. Yeah. That's the best one for sure because it's just like Robot Mace and Daisy. Robot Mace because man, it's just like Daisy at her best. Like she is fully like, you know, obviously we saw her with like in the Ghost Rider arc and stuff like that, but she is like honed the quake skills yeah. to a point where it's like she doesn't even have the gauntlets on in that and she's still like making everything work. And Mace is like we're seeing prime Mace. Like right? we're we're seeing like 
what he would be like turned to 12 turned out to 11 fighting but as a robot it's just they beat the shit out of each other and she is so resilient and she gets that sarah connor role uh-huh. of just like you're gonna have to kill me <laughs> to make me stop coming brother and she and she, she nails does. it because that that is such like because everyone tries to yeah. do that that like oh you're gonna have to kill me to you know and it doesn't always yeah. work not everyone can sell that but she does and man they have a great fight it's a really great fight because she's like using the quake stuff but like when she's doing like essentially it's a ufc wrestling move called the superman punch where she jumps and hits him like i'm just like oh wow that's cool but you see her propelling with the quake stuff it's like more Uh subtle and it's more and it's not like ooh, here's the power it's like the power is part of her so it feels more natural as a fight instead of being like okay now we're going to showcase her skills it's all organic it's all part of her now and she is much like think of where she was in season one to now it's like a completely different character physically but emotionally it's the yeah, same character. i fully agree i think that uh all of the best action sequences this pod or daisy she didn't get a ton to do in terms of character growth or or uh moving the plot as, in a central way but she certainly kicked ass and that was really fun to see like her i think for me like the honorable mention would be uh robo mac and robo colson fight with daisy i think it's just too short for it to count but it's oh, great when, when she basically like goes like full yeah. kind of like uh like magneto on them by like concentrating all of the energy and then like blasting them and that gets fully blown oh, apart man, that was so <laughs> awesome. that was a good special effect too and that's and i what i loved about that is how that head rolling in stops like the red shirts from taking out yeah. Gemma, yeah, because they don't believe her, and they're like, "Who was it? Was it Ford? Is that the one character's name? It was just like um, the woman with the short hair, yeah. Piper. That's it." And she's just like, "Well, I guess the robots are right, man. That sucks." And she's just like, "God damn it!" <laughs> just wish yeah, they were crazy. Yeah, that's they're good. That her her job for the rest for for a while is just going to be uh, flying the plane, <laughs> just hidden cutaway shots. But uh, but she, that's she's been fine. slowly growing as a character over the last season and a half. So good for her. Um, also, uh, Mac and Robo May before she realizes that she's a robot fighting the Watchdogs in episode ten was pretty good too. Uh, when they're in the cabin together and they're just like bashing mm, stuff, yeah, sure. and then of course she gets injured and realizes like, oh no, uh, underneath my skin is metal. That's disconcerting. <laughs> Speaking of terrible things that happen to people, Gemma, 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 Gemma. That sound means it's time for our Fitzsimmons Memorial Cold Shower Award, uh, where we talk about our romantic pairings getting the block this week. And of course, I think it's two couples getting the same uh, subterfuge hit them, both Fitzsimmons and Felinda, uh, a name that I'm going to keep using because I know Bill hates it, uh, both getting robot kidnapped and replaced by doubles. Definitely was a problem for that romantic pairing. Worse for for Phil and, and May because they really seemed like they were connecting in a way that they had never done before it turns out oops that's a robot <laughs> so that that sucked um but i think maybe even worse that simmons had to kill her robot no no, no. i think it's worse for yeah. simmons because it's just like they were talking about like you know weddings and you yeah. know she doesn't know if she's a robot and blah. So yeah being... i mean phil made out with a ro- phil made out with a robot she, he did sorry yeah. he got he got fooled did you at any point think that he had figured it out and was just kind of playing the long game until he made out with your guess are you disappointed that that wasn't the case that he just got sucked into it i'm not disappointed at all yeah me neither 
I, it would have been too, he would have been too cool for school. His too cool moment was when he shit on the Russian, <laughs> which was excellent. But yeah, I feel yeah, like it was it awesome. was nice because it meant that he was being emotionally vulnerable and letting that cloud his judgment, yes. and that is a core aspect of his character. And I'm glad that they didn't lose yeah. track of that. So I, it worked for me. It didn't feel contrived. Be that Phil can't be. He can never be Tony Stark. No, he's more Tony so Soprano than Tony Stark. He really lets his emotions get the best of him sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a little he's a little better shape. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> that goes without saying. Okay. Um, speaking of uh, Tony Stark, it's now time for our not even Agent Romanoff could do that, where we talk sure. about our uh, MCU connections. Uh, we got a couple of things. Obviously, Sokovia Accords front and center as always. We got to talk about them. Uh, we got that whole uh, hearing at Capitol Hill where Daisy is, I guess, having to like have a hearing before she can sign the accords or because she had she acted uh as a superpowered person under shields uh direct like a direction but that was a bit uh, <laughs> the only timey wimey we gotta hand wave of, that nothing you know, in this in the mcu related to the sokovia accords ever makes a lick of sense and i think this show oh. does nothing to help that problem <laughs> they i like that they were like oh, oh this is something we could do stuff with and then it's just like none of it works but it doesn't work any better anywhere else so i'm here i, I guess that's at least consistency um but i did like that episode because you get the kind of like phil uh fighting with Talbot by the aforementioned Adrian Pastar, uh, going behind his back to try to plant a bug on the senator's office, having it blow up in their face, having a nice action moment for Simmons where she gets to beat up one of the senator's congressional staff, <laughs> which was cool. I enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, and then it all and then it all culminating to uh, the senator being ahead of the game because of course she's got May on the inside without them realizing, and uh, <laughs> and it comes down to her eventually saying, "It appears that Shield really." is a criminal organization after all which honestly is a pretty fair hit on them because they are <laughs> the idea that they ever were going to be a legit agency is completely I mean, insane they don't play by the rules they got bigger fish to fry no um other other things obviously we get more details on the vienna hero moment that was uh, the explosion in civil war it was kind of alluded to at the beginning of the season civil but war. we we have more information to go on in that mace is getting a dumbed down version of the captain america formula uh shot into him and it is killing him uh which you know, goes right along with all the other attempts to make Captain America formula. Never works out well. Uh, and then, you know, of course, as I said, the Canings let Daisy know that there is Quake Black Widow fan fiction out there, which goes by the name Quack. If Daisy was ever going to learn that from anyone, I'm glad it was Pat Oswalt. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can look it up. Wait, no, actually don't. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Uh, there also we get in the the big reveal at the end when they yes. go under that uh, May is in the former Shield Triskelion uh, compound. The Triskelion is there. It has not been destroyed by the events of Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Because yes, the big cliffhanger at the end of this whole arc is that all of our heroes have been hooked up to the Matrix, aka the framework, and they have been given a world as according to Ada. Um, that corrects their biggest trauma, basically. It changes one the one thing about their life that they think will make their life better. And what that means for all the characters is a wide variety of things. Uh, it causes a big ripple effect that we're going to be getting into next month when we talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., colon, Agents of Hydra, which is which find out that Hydra is alive and well in the in the framework. We'll get to the bottom of why that is. The flaw that was corrected in in May's life, we do have insight too. We know that it is that she saves the girl in Bahrain, um, and that 
for some reason has her as a uh, instructor uh, in Hydra. So that's an interesting connection. Phil Coulson appears to be a history teacher out of the game completely. We also find out that Fitz is getting out of a yeah. stylish limo looking very fancy. Uh, we don't know. Who, with a uh, female. With a female. We don't know who. Certainly not Gemma because like... she is six feet under, as it turns out, buried underground. We see her. Oh, well, we... can I throw it a tinfoil sure. theory? Yeah. It's it's Ada. And uh, we'll have to find out. But the very last thing that we do see is that uh, Daisy wakes up in her body in this in the framework and they say, oh, you got to get get your boyfriend, get her over here. And she's like, oh, is it Lincoln? Is Lincoln alive in this world? And uh, we cut to oh. our buddy, our friend. Fucking Grant, Grant Ward. Ward. He's back. We can't. No, <laughs> I'm just like, fuck you guys. Like, seriously, why? Why do we need this fucking guy like a back? Bad penny. It's you just, just can't like, get rid of him. Grant motherfucking uh, Ward. They can't quit. He can't. It's like broke Ben Batten. They can't quit they him. Can't. They, they just really can't. <laughs> they can't. I just like, I'm just like Daisy. You, you were like, you've come so far, but why are you so dumb? Like, it's not her fault. Did, she why? didn't. Is program it, the matrix to make her be in a relationship with grant ward i'm sure she's not very happy about that news i don't know about that well, she, we'll this was the one thing month. well she, she's like oh the one thing you could correct you're gonna stick with grant ward it's just like god damn it why do we need him back we don't need him back alex we fucking <laughs> murdered him we killed I, him he's done he's he's but no he's so he was shot left for dead then killed then killed on an alien planet possessed by basically satan blown up up over the planet earth and still he comes back in a computer we love it i mean i also understand stand. like just, this is this, no no we, we do we have to but, stand uh, we have I, no choice I, I, <laughs> it's in this it's in the sokovia cords bill you have to stand <laughs> guess who didn't sign him this fucking guy but no I, like i also get it's like comic books that characters come back why I think Why? I think the real reason is that the actor, by all accounts, is really him. is really nice, and they really like him as a person, and they like working with him, cool. and so they found just about every excuse possible to to keep him around, well past his sell by date. <laughs> but they always do something interesting. They're never just like, and he's back. There's always mm-hmm. another reason. It, it he gets to have a different take on the character every time, and uh, I'm not gonna spoil anything for anybody but i will say that you know we might not be getting the grant word that we're expecting uh in this in this world so uh it, i mean it's literally it's brett dalton well, here, but... here's, here's my question here's my question yeah is he still called grant ward he is still called grant ward does he work for Hydra's shield, like government agency? Uh, well, I, yeah. The implication Hydra, of that scene Hydra. is that yes, they both work for Hydra. So the, no, it's but you'll the, have to find no, he's out. Back. We'll have to find he's out back. what there, why he, she would be with him, what the deal is there. Then you have to watch Werewolf by Night in Color. Then because this is too much for me. This is like <laughs> this is like what the fuck, guys. Oh. Oh, I I literally that that ended and I was just like God because I was everyone expecting was an angry mess. I was like God, 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 Boom! One more pod. Basically, this is their way of doing an alternate universe storyline, which I love because I love alternate this is what universe is. stories. Well, well, the first it's funny because it's like the first episode is called What right. If, and so it's like this is all a big one. Exactly. 
all of our heroes are locked in. We only know what some of them are up to. And we do, I will remind you, know that Gemma Simmons is dead in this universe and has been transported into her body. So let's see uh, where that goes. Um, but yeah. She's going to be in the episodes, right? Uh, we'll find out. I mean, she has been. Trans- I mean, if you're going to take, if you're going to put Grant Ward in these episodes and take Gemma out of it, it's just like, why am I watching? I can't. What I am I doing here? I tell you what comes next. You'll have to watch for yourself. I should just watch Iron Fist at that <laughs> this point. Is it's just like, four, if we're going to torture season me. Season 4, episodes 16 through 22, last seven episodes of the season. Watch it. It's going to be really great. Wow. This has been an epic season of television. I'm so glad we got to deep dive on all three arcs. But in the meantime, Bill, where can we find more of your stuff on the internet? I'm guessing maybe some uh, Grant Ward fan fiction on the horizon. But until then... <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> what are you up Never. to? Uh, well, you know, I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. We celebrated 14 years at the end of September. Uh, we're very proud of that. Of course, I have a number of podcasts that I'm doing. So Socially Distance, which airs every every single Friday. Uh, we just completed our Ahsoka series and next week um, or this week, I should say when this drops, we are going to be talking about Loki. Uh, we've got a Buffy episode coming up for Halloween. We're going to be talking some football, some more Loki. We've got Doctor Who coming up. Got a whole grab bag worth of stuff coming up. Uh, just end of the year stuff. We are going to have our holiday episodes as well, which are always really silly and fun. I might be popping up a couple of times in the fall. So if you want to hear more of me and Bill together, you can you can look for those episodes coming up. And of course, we have Amanda Rivas who will be buffering all of that. So uh, who you should also check out her Anime X Pop uh, podcast on the Pop Break TV side of things, which I am also on for uh, TV Break, our monthly TV podcast. As myself, Alex, and Josh Sarnecki. But most importantly, just check out the Pop Break every single day. We're at the Pop Break on all your favorite uh, social media platforms: X, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And uh, if you must follow me, I am at Bodkin Writes, and uh, on on X and on uh, Letterboxd, I am just. Bill Bodkin, so you can go check that out. I am at Media Thinkings on Letterboxd. I am at Alex Marcus on Blue Sky. I am at uh, thepopbreak.com on the podcast tab. All of the stuff uh, going on over there. Lots of really cool shows happening. Movies, music, television, wrestling, all that good stuff coming over there. Listen to that. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, And until next time, Bill, Grand Motherfucking Ward is back! Uh... (laughs) Oh!